probably did hate Mayo and we thought it was hate at the time because these guys are trying to take away our dreams. The Football Pod live Thursday, June 2nd in Castle Bar. Check out otbsports.com forward slash events and get your tickets now. Back in my time as a manager of Pats, when Curtis Fleming was playing, when Paul Ozan was playing, and where Pats had Paul McGrath played before that, and since then they had lots of other players, and Joseph and Doe, and Charles uh, and Bassey Livingston, you know, and other players that played around the league. Did we all kind of sit idly by and just kind of pass it off and say, oh, well, it wasn't bad, there was a bit of stick from the crowd, and, and did we just let it go, but it wasn't too bad? TB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 7.30, Friday morning, going to be AM. Very good morning to you. And welcome along to the show. Pack show is always coming your way between now and 10 this morning. Oh, and good morning. Uh, Colm, how are you? Adrian Francis Barry. That was this weird moment on air where we're like, oh, how are you getting on? You're here. I'm here. Yeah, but don't I'm, worry, everybody. He's over there. Oh, and how are you getting on? Good lads, what's the crack? Where are you? I am outside the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I've just sat here all thinking night. about life decisions all night, watching the people come and go, people uh, go home in the middle of the night, people get up in the middle of the night to go to work, people go about their day while I've just sat here thinking. Wallowing in your tears. That's it. Tears of uh, sadness and tears of realisation that Arsenal are always going to Arsenal. They really are. I was talking to, uh, we were both on the news round last night, we were talking to Nathan, we were saying it'd be the most Arsenal thing of all time if at this point, if, given all the credit they've been given all season and how well they're doing and everybody talking, including your mate Ainsley, about that four-point gap and how, you know, last night was an important game. If they get away with a draw, not so bad. I mean, if they get beaten, it doesn't really matter because they can go on and kick on to the end of the season. But the, the most Arsenal thing of all time, on is is upon us, isn't it? I'm not, like, ugh, I don't know, to be honest. I think that the reason why people were pretty confident about a four-point gap is that if there was a bit of a catastrophe last night, then there was still a small cushion. And Arsenal have rebounded weirdly from bad spells in the not-too-distant past. When they lost those three games in a row last month, it seemed as if the whole season was over. And then they beat Manchester United and Chelsea and West Ham in back-to-back-to-back games. And all of a sudden, this top-four thing was back on after it seemed like it was doomed. So I think that it's not over. And but the, the reason fixture why list. Were... Oh, and think of the, somebody think of the fixture list. What, what do you mean? You think that the, the, the Newcastle game is a, is a significant yeah. challenge? Is, is that what you mean? Yeah. It, it, probably, it probably is. Newcastle don't have anything to play for. Uh, like, I mean, and you, you obviously know what Burnley did to Tottenham in their last fixture uh, when they played in the league. It looked like... Uh, <laughs> It was like Conte was almost going to walk out the last time they played Burnley. So, uh, if you, like, uh, I think that the main reason why you would be concerned about these last couple of games is because Arsenal's momentum has been halted, completely halted after last night. I, yeah. I'm actually not convinced it's it's got all that much to do with the opponents that are playing in the last couple of games. I think, I think this probably comes back to your point. I think if they don't pick up six points in the last couple of games, it will be an Arsenal job because they'll have done something stupid themselves or, you know, the suspension now and the injury to Gabriel all feels quite Arsenal and all feels like something that will lead them to concede a goal that they shouldn't concede on Monday night, for example, and that might lead to a one-all draw and all of a sudden the whole thing is dust. So yeah. it's hard to know how Arsenal it is, 
but I, I do think that it, it might be self-inflicted if they weren't to get six points from here. It might be the beginning of, a, of an arsenal. We'll talk a bit more about that and the Arteta interview, particularly obviously after the game in just a little bit, uh, and those two lads over your right-hand shoulder. What, uh, what was it like in the stadium last night? What sort of a JD is raving about this place as a ground? Yeah, genuinely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And it does feel that Spurs are onto something special. Like, it, it, like, this is my first time at it, at the stadium, and I'm getting a North London derby, which had a lot riding on it. So I expected to get the best version of this stadium out there. But obviously, like, I mean, it, it does seem that there is only uh, so much of a level that I can actually drop down to on its worst days as well. So I, I think that they're, they're really on something special with this place. The, the fan base are fully behind this team, as you'd expect them to be for a North London derby as well. Everybody desperately wants Conte to stay. It feels like they're on the right path, uh, or so they have been over the last couple of months as well. They've got a stadium to match it. There's a chance they'll have Champions League football to match it next season. Uh, it's it's sickening if you don't like Tottenham all that much with how uh, how beautiful the, the whole thing is. What's so special uh, about it? Good question. That's that's the intangible, isn't it? When it comes to it, it's just a, the, the genuine sense of noise all around the place last night. Like the maybe I'm kind of like basing it on the fact that I've just been in the Aviva Stadium a lot over the last couple of months. Parky Rain, as one of our YouTubers, uh, YouTube point, point yeah. yeah, good point. Good point. Where like sound like leaks out. Uh, like the it, it did feel. I'm not gonna lie. When I when I saw that, you know, the, the south stand in this stadium behind me was it was kind of like modelled on the cop or the yellow wall. I did feel a little bit pretentious. But it does actually work, and it is an intimidating place to play in front of. Like, I mean, you had Arsenal players taking corners and having projectiles in their general direction from that stands, but it is right on top of you. There is very, very little breathing room between the, the goal and that stand, and the same goes for the other ends. It's a massive stadium, and all of the Tottenham fans are right on top of you. It almost felt last night, how does anybody come here and actually win? But it always feels like that when a team has a significant win and they win three. It always feels like this, a, a team can't be beaten, or the team that does get beaten is in a terrible, terrible place. But the, the, the noise and the, the sense that this is a, this is a stadium where, things are, where special things are about to happen, you, you, you definitely got that sense from last night. Whether or not it does... I'm not sure. Like Arsenal could win their last two games, Conte could get fed up and walk out, and all of a sudden they've got a massive stadium that they may not even be able to fill over the next little while. But last night, <laughs> if, you, if, you were judging, if, if you were judging, if you were judging it on last night, you're, you would definitely be thinking, "Wow, okay, they're they're onto something here at Tottenham." Oh, and uh, Gary Neville was saying on Sky Sports commentary towards the end of the match, it was the best atmosphere he had been part of all season long. Was it right. consistently? unbelievable throughout the entire match was there any dip in atmosphere because I always feel when there's a goal scored right at the start of the second half a lot of people are still away so was when Son scored was there a, still an equally huge reaction to the two Harry Kane goals in the first half just about because they stopped serving the, at the bars as, I, 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 as soon as the teams came back out I presume because uh, I was out there trying to just get a cup of coffee and was like, okay, I'm not going to get served coffee. here. It was just shortly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was just shortly after everybody got out, it was like uh, Son had scored. So it, it did seem like the place was full again. So that's a good move. And I know most stadiums do that nowadays anyway, when the game is on, you can't actually get a pint. So that's uh, that definitely helps it. But yeah, no, I, I, I didn't hear, I didn't know that Gary Devil said it. And it's interesting that he did say it because I, I think uh, the, the Tottenham fans knew they had a, a significant part to play last night in, in intimidating Arsenal, a young Arsenal team, the youngest team in the league, uh, who clearly, and it clearly worked, they got inside their heads and they completely underperformed last night, even allowing for 10 men. And yeah, it was, it was a constant drumbeat of we love Spurs and we hate Arsenal. 
uh, around the whole ground. And I actually think the early goal helps in, in that regard, the, the penalty. I think everybody is in party mode at that point, and it, and it kind of helps. And, uh, like, of course, the Arsenal fans, a significant chunk of them left early, but most of the Spurs fans hung around, it seemed anyway, till well after the full-time whistle. Speaking of penalty, Mikel Arteta afterwards, with Jeff Street and Sky Sports, was absolutely raging. He went full Pep Guardiola, hmm. went, I'm uh, very proud of my players. If they play like this, they'll have no problem against Newcastle. But more to the point, he was saying that uh, if he says anything at all, he's going to be suspended for six months. But I don't know about you from your uh, stadium perspective, but as a TV viewer, Stonewall penalty. What did you think first time around seeing it? I didn't think it was a penalty first time I saw it. And then when I saw the replay, I thought, yeah, it is a penalty. And like without trotting out like uh, the, the cliche about a referee it would have just been interesting if he hadn't given it had be would be a or have overturned it and I, and I don't think it, it would have done so i don't think it was a stone wall at all but i think that once you give it be is not going to overturn it so maybe that that is the, the the hometown decision that you do get uh in a place like that and i i think that um like it was it, it, it was a foul it was a foul like it was it's, like yeah. i don't think michael arteta can be complaining about the fact that, that that it was a penalty or not and i i can understand why he's gone siege mentality yeah. though like what what other what other option does he have exactly. after that like it, it was chastening and they've lost a couple of players and uh like their squad is already extremely thin they're in... he can't start moaning about the referee now with like no, but newcastle it, and everton to come and like he suddenly like you know look robbie Keane was making a good point last night that in the in the dressing room He's going to be going off. He's going to be giving it the big one. He's going to be saying like ball and holding out of it, uh, and that's and that's all fair. And it's pro- it, probably the point of the season he's at with a couple of games to go. This thing could totally unravel. He probably has to come but, out and do an Arsene Wenger, basically, isn't he? Well, hold, like, I are we? Are you not just getting like completely carried away with the scale of this? The, the, what, what Arsenal have done this season by calling it a, a complete unraveling, like. They lost to a better team last night. Tottenham are a better team than Arsenal. Chelsea are a better team than Arsenal. Manchester United are a better team than Arsenal. Arsenal somehow, going into last night, were a point behind Chelsea. And I don't know what that is. Like, is that a complete fluke? Is it actually the fact that they've managed to get more than the sum of their parts out of every single game? It's because they haven't been playing European football all season. Something has happened this season that has allowed Arsenal to overachieve on that Premier League table in, in terms of their position. So, I'd, like an unraveling? Is that? Are we really uh, gonna put the sound as an unraveling? Uh, oh, and you're like, yearing I, I it. So. You're yearing it away. Like you have some confidence in your own boys. They're a point ahead of Spurs. They're a one point better off team than Spurs. Well, so last night was I'm a massive yearing. underperformance. It was a huge underperformance. I'm not, I'm not yearing anything away. I'm saying that's my exact point. I'm saying that like, this is like overachieving. It's been a very very strong. Oh come on! Did you like, just say Manchester United are a better team than Arsenal? You'd look, I mean, I'm talking about on paper. If you look at those squads on paper at the start of the season and you, you're telling that's me fair. that Arsenal would have finished ahead of Manchester no, United, that is you would have been fair. off your that rocker. Is totally the, 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 the evidence, the, that, is, that is totally fair. But the evidence of what we've seen is that Manchester United are better than very few other teams in the league. And like, look, at it, the, the point is also fair in terms of like maybe they're ahead of their trajectory and maybe it speaks more to the mediocrity of the teams, let's say, beneath... Chelsea, because it's a bit of a bun fight for, you know, if anybody of any quality to put their hand up, then then you know they would have taken fourth. But that's that's totally fair. But I will say that Arsenal have obviously got an awful lot of credit for you know that people aren't really now. Look at I say it in the context of what happened last night, but people aren't really talking about the lily livered mentality of Arsenal anymore. Now look at again last night might have been the biggest counterpoint to that, that he could possibly. Uh, have but you know that he is beginning to he is turning the ship he's turning the tide there's a lot of um, like young quality players there at the club now in a way that like you know you add a few more 
a sprinkling of quality there and suddenly you have a team they're not they're definitely not competing for the what is it 20 plus points for the uh, cities in Liverpool but like a little sprinkling surely on they're not that far off um so competing for third yeah I'm just like I'm just trying to think like what what is what what's your kind of summation on Arsenal then is it that they are in the rarefied era of being one of the top teams in the league outside of the top two or is it that they are lily livered and and are no punching above their weight? Like, I, what, what's, I, what's I buy the it? I buy the Arteta has changed it, and um, you know there are real signs of progression there. Look at and sure we've been discussing that for the last number of months. Uh, last night is a huge. Last night I think is a, is a real sideswipe in terms of that that overall plan. Uh, it'll be so, it'll be one that people forget about if they can get the job done against Newcastle and Everton, but. Um, I just you would be concerned on the basis of what you saw last night. Um, what am I saying? I'm saying that I think they're not far off being the third best team in the Premier League. I think if you're if you can afford to leave out a player as talented as Emil Smith Rowe in a North London derby, you've a pretty good team. Mm. Now I do fear I, for that, Arsenal uh, defensively in the next game because by my reckoning they're going to play what they're going to play Cedric right back, Tavares will come in left back, and then Tommy Asa will have to play centre half with. Uh, and not match fit Again. Ben White, like yeah, that. Now that's ropey. And Newcastle last day of the season might want to uh, have a nice wave off to the fans for a fantastic second half to the campaign under Eddie Howe. If we the Everton game would be more worrying for me. Yeah. Well, uh, like Everton could be home and hose by yeah. the final day of the season, right? Like that's the, that's what Arsenal need to hope for that that fixtures go their way this weekend and that are, that Everton are are home and so they're during the Premier League next season. Uh, Arsenal are at home in that final game, and Everton have been terrible on the road. I would say so. I think Monday night. I, and I, I think Spurs, if they had to pick one of the horses to, to bet on, they'd be picking the Newcastle horse rather than the Everton one at this point, would be my guess, because I think they've got more of a chance of beating Arsenal. And especially considering the, the wound will still be a little bit fresh. Like, I know Conte was complaining afterwards that Spurs have to play on Sunday at 12 o'clock and Arsenal can wait until Monday night. That might be significant, that, that Arsenal can wait until Monday night to just have that extra day just to get over it. But just to go back to what you said there, Colin, I think the Emil Smith-Rowe thing, you're right. I mean, having that player, a player of that quality on the bench should suggest squad depth, but it's a complete exception. Like you can't use Emil Smith Rowe and say there is a good sub on the bench, therefore they have squad depth. It is literally the only area where they have definitely uh, like they do not have squad depth. That's the one thing. Like this is such high stakes for Arsenal compared to Tottenham. That Tottenham will, like, if, if you're starting from scratch again from next season with these two same squads, of course Tottenham should be finishing ahead of Arsenal. The only way Arsenal finish ahead of Tottenham next season, or sorry, the only way Arsenal really give themselves a good advantage of finishing ahead of Tottenham next season is by being in that fourth spot and Tottenham not being in there. And if they're going for the same sort of players that Arsenal are grabbing them with the. Uh, the carrot of Champions League football. That's why this is so important for Arsenal. I actually think Spurs can get away with finishing fifth, and if they keep Conte, they will be in with a good shot of finishing top four next season and uh, going on a good run in the Europa League. I think the likes of Harry Kane are frantic these last two games because we need the Champions League to keep this man in charge. Because I think Antonio Conte, he's renting and he's looking to buy. He wants something else. He has that PSG job lined up. He likes working with the biggest players. I don't think uh, Conte at this stage in his career, considering all he's achieved, has any interest in the Europa League. Well, you saw yeah. Jose Mourinho I mean, about I, the, crying I, about the Conference League the other week. Yeah, but that's so. Jose loves his CV and his Wikipedia to keep on scrolling. Like, the more you can scroll on Mourinho's CV, the happier he is. 
But with Conte, he he wants big time. He's in it for the big time, baby. Whereas Arteta, ah, there's no work, question you that can if work. They don't, that so you Arsenal don't have European football this year, so Europa League next year. You're not saying pretty if, good if progress. You're after Champions League. You're not saying Conte leaves on the basis of not making the Champions League. I don't think he's 100 committed to Spurs, but he's a fantastic manager, and the players are reacting to him. That would be my uh, vision of it from the outside. Now maybe he's maybe he's never been more committed to a job, but I get the impression with him. You know, it was only a couple of months ago after the Burnley uh, defeat to Turf Moor, he was like, oh, I can't get anything out of these players. Which he literally said was like maybe I should just go, maybe I should just leave. He he's two results away from doing that again. Um, MJ Maloney in touch here on YouTube. Nobody expected Arsenal to even finish in the top six for them to be fourth with two games to go. Arteta would have taken that all season long. Uh, a bit of perspective, please, uh, he says. And uh, more comments here from RD. Arsenal shot themselves in the foot getting rid of Aubameyang and not bringing in a striker. Uh, and also saying that Spurs' last two games are favourable, and like on the face of it, absolutely. Um, but that would be, uh, we will see what happens obviously over the next one. Well, the manager's conversation was a kind of an interesting one. I was looking at Arteta last night, I think it was after the penalty decision, and instead of ranting and raving, he was straight over to one of his assistant coaches and he was like knee deep in a conversation about how are we going to respond to this tactically. And I thought, wow, well, that's impressive. So that's the way he was all night, right? <laughs> I was just about to say, that's interesting because every time I look down, it was Arteta in the fourth official's ear constantly. Now, Conte does it a lot, but Mikel Arteta is on a level above. And it does feel that it's something that we've got a really good sense of on television all season long. But when you're there and you can actually see it happen, it's, it's, it's quite extraordinary. Like it, it did seem that there was a, a bit of a conflab after the sending off about whether or not they'd bring on Ben White. Mm. I presume that's what they were talking about, and that was obviously the big decision. And again, this is when it, this is all about perspective and your perspective on Arsenal. Was it a sense of throwing in the towel, or was it a sense of shrewd think? move, Mikel Arteta? I kind of felt at the time it was throwing in the towel, I'm not going to lie, because I maybe there was kind of like a bit of a hangover from what happened against Leeds last week, where Arsenal were a man up and two goals up, and... Uh, at home and they still almost conspired to collapse because there was a, a weird goal they conceded. I thought if Arsenal could get one goal, Spurs could have felt a little bit shaky last night. So I thought they should have gone for it. But then kind of when in, in the, the, the coldness of this Friday morning, you're like, OK, having a fully fit Ben White for Newcastle on Monday is more important. And uh, like, I mean, that's probably what it came down to. And if they win and Ben White starts and like, I guess after that point, Gabriel gets injured. So it's even more important to have Ben White back there. Uh, I, I think that it could prove to be a, a shrewd move, but I'm sure hindsight will judge him cruelly one way or the other. You know what struck me was the uh, extent of the deliberation and conversation about what to do after Rob Holding was sent off. It was so intense between all the coaches, but yeah, it felt to me at the time watching he's uh, he's given up in this match. He's going to he he's going to put all his uh, eggs in the in the Newcastle and Everton baskets because you know he's a man down, he's a goal down. It did look to me like that, and Jamie Redknapp was very adamant that that was the case at half time as well. And I, I'd love to know, did you get a sense afterwards from Arsenal fans that that's what they felt on? This is, uh, do, you remember the, do you remember the Millennium Stadium a few months ago? Where, uh, what was the question? <laughs> What's happening? What's no, talk, talk to the people there, on. No, uh, no uh, I, I actually didn't hear your question coming. What, the, 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 the interesting thing for me about the Ben White uh, situation last night was like they obviously they, you presume that they had had a conversation in advance right about like here are the scenarios in which Owen is after getting uh, having to turn his machine off I think he's been sort of Millennium Stadium revisited the Principality Stadium revisited there I think he in that the security guards come over and gone listen pal are you what are you doing here are you yeah. live broadcasting are you kidding me like, get out yeah. of here we've all had our fun we've all had our fun you've been out here now. come on 
banging, banging. You've been here since 4 a.m. Son. Um, I, the Ben White one, and we leave it in this because Owen's been talking to some of the fans that we uh, want to hear from as well after the stadium, after the after the match last night around the stadium. Many of whom left early, and Owen had to leave himself a bit early to get out uh, ahead of them. The Ben White situation, the only thing that I th- thought was slightly weird about it, why was it a conversation? Either you've decided he's fit enough to be in the squad and he's on the bench and he's getting the energy drinks in and he might come in, but the weirdness of that was that then, after the game, uh, when Arteta's asked about it, he was like, no, it was never a situation that we would bring Ben White on. That was just not true. Yeah, it was, and I think it was an absolute last-case scenario. Like, I don't actually subscribe to the opinion that, oh, if you're on the bench you're fit enough to play I think if you're on the bench you're probably not fit enough to play if you're an important player so it's a total to emergency situation point, yeah. yeah but, but was, he was thought it was not, too early well, I mean, was this that was, not an emergency situation then last night well I think it, he need, they needed the quality of Ben White in but the problem was the time of the match I think if that had happened maybe 20 minutes into the second half the only no doubt about that it. is he said there was no Ben White was not playing tonight there was not the right thing to do but they did the same with uh, Calvin Phillips at Leeds. Jesse March put him on the bench a good few times before he had any real intention of playing him. He admitted that. They played away to Wolves on Friday Night Football. Jamie Carragher but, and Gary but Neville asked him about because he was getting ready to come on Ben White. He was, but I think they. I think Arteta decided. I think. I think that's where the deliberation was coming from. The coaches, I feel, were saying to Arteta, "We need to bring him on," and he was thinking, "No, it's too early for him to come on." Because if you go to a scenario where White either gets sent off uh, or injured, then they really are screwed against Newcastle on Monday night and, and think about it too Arsenal are in the driving seat here They're, they are a point ahead despite last night's performance they actually it's totally in their control oh, and they have every capability of beating right Newcastle now? and everything who would you rather be Tottenham or Spurs because of their last two games and I wouldn't trust Arsenal yeah I'm with you yeah. Oh, are you back yeah yeah all good uh, <laughs> do you want to tell us what I'm happened not... oh just just uh, two gentlemen coming along uh, having, a, having a coffee having a smoke you know Friday morning the weekend is here <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Presidency, both of Arsenal. You get me? Arsenal. Yeah, both of us. Yeah. Presidency, we're heartbroken, Yeah, Because you know, all our situation, being homeless and that. Yeah. We were, we was hoping that, that that can cheer us up to have us, to so have a good day. Depending on Arsenal to cheer you up, probably yeah, not the most, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the no, end of an exercise, unfortunately. That if Arsenal get a good result, yeah, we'll be cheered up. You get me? I'll get motivated. You get me? But right now, man's down. You get me? Yeah, but life goes on, innit? You get me? A bit longer yeah. to be happy, well, you know? Yeah, that's at the end of it. You yeah. get me? Because we see ahead on point. You get me? Yeah. 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 Life, life goes on is the, yeah. the message uh, from yeah. North London this morning. I, I wish all Arsenal fans had that level of perspective. I'm getting it eventually. You know, as I said, the cold mists of Friday morning do come along. You're like, you know what? Yeah. Things aren't that bad. And I disagree with you, Colm. I would rather be in Arsenal's position. Yeah. One point ahead, yeah. as Alex Ferguson always says, so points on the board. And that would motivate to that defeat. You get me? Yeah. Maybe if we are one year, would I be complacent? Yeah. That's yeah. Owen subconscious yeah. talking there. Yeah, and 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 uh, he has had an interesting little time with uh, fans. Owen, haven't you? You were uh, you had to get out of the stadium a little bit early last night to yeah, yeah. get ahead of the posse, get out amongst the fans. Yeah. Fra- yeah. It was a fraud situation, a bit like it is this morning. Yeah, it absolutely was. Um, I like. I, I guess what you'll see at the end of this uh, piece um, is that uh, everybody who saw me with the red microphone. I thought I was with Arsenal Fan TV, which kind of created a few moments of confusion and maybe some funny moments. But genuinely, there does seem to be a, a real distaste amongst the Arsenal fans, some Arsenal fans, sorry, I should say, uh, for AFTV. And there was uh, one guy who approached me pretty much straight after the game and was like, uh, F off with your silly little camera, you effing see you next Tuesday. 
And I was like, wow, okay, uh, this is great, a great decision to be in amongst the Arsenal fans in the aftermath of this. So um, there's a, a lot of people who were, yeah, who, who weren't happy whatsoever to see uh, the Mike last night. But uh, other than that, I think Spurs fans, who were the majority, of course, were pretty delighted with the results. Yeah. All right, we'll take that uh, video now. Home with the fans after the match. So it's finished Spurs 3, Arsenal nil at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I have a mic that has a red cover on it, therefore everybody thinks I'm working with Arsenal Fan TV. Nevertheless, here is what the Arsenal fans and, of course, the Spurs fans thought after that win for Tottenham. Oh, incredible. Oh. Fantastic. Ecstatic. It's uh, amazing. Incredible. Great, great performance. Amazing. Magic time. Magic. Uh, absolutely elated. It's just a brilliant, brilliant game. We've got to keep this manager, can't we? Because he, he, he is... It's different, different fish to Pochettino. I got sweets because I got a sweet tooth, sugar addiction. I got a program, lovely program. My tea towels are all old and manky, so sorry, Mum. I'm gonna throw out your old tea towels. Got some new ones, and of course, what Spurs fans' home is complete without a fridge magnet. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's probably the best guy I've been to this season. Yeah, yeah. Tossed up, Colin, you Spurs. That's your Jadu. That's Nathan Murphy. Pretty good results, to say the least. Electric, Owen. Really, really electric. It was, uh, it was such a great, great game. Really, really enjoyed it. Oh, I think it's absolutely fantastic because we, we beat Arsenal and we're a better team than Arsenal. The best results Spurs have had in a long time? Uh, I've no idea, but I'm going to say yes. If, if you want to watch Arsenal, they're hit and miss. We are the uh, basically the generic Irish people's team, as in Robbie Keane. It feels like there's like a new wave of Spurs energy at the moment. I'd agree with you, Owen. I, I really would. Yeah, just six points, as, as you overheard, yeah. Now, Arsenal had Liam Brady, but we've now got Robbie Keane, who's one of our people. What a player. What a player. Absolutely. Top goal scorer for Ireland as well. Let's not forget. Arsenal were bad, weren't they? Terrible. Uh, really terrible. Uh, one of their worst performances in a while. But again, the atmosphere was really electric. It, it was tough. It's like first 30 minutes, I thought, oh, we're in trouble here. But you know what? He's missed one game all season, and I thought this was his game. He, he, he's seen Everton 5-0, and you think to yourself, oh, we, we won 5-0 getting to Everton. And today, Owen, you deserve that. Did you enjoy that game today? Yeah, I love the game. Was it, was we, played, we played really well. Best experience of your life? Yeah, but one of the best experiences of my life. Cause we, when we, we, the last time we beat Arsenal, I think, was eight years ago at home. So, yeah, um, we did really well, I think. Yeah, and there's still hope, of course. Newcastle, Everton. Talk to me then. You're going to win? Yeah, against Newcastle, we have to win. Everton, tricky, tricky, tricky. What do you make of tonight's performance? Poor. Poor, NKR, NKR poor, who else, Rob Holding poor, he should have played Ben White, um, who else, Martin, Martinelli should have been up front. Sorry, don't have a clue what he's saying, he's a gooner and he's a bad loser, that's all I've got to say, alright. We're shite, simple as that, we are shit, but we're still going to get top four anyway, so. What was the biggest issue tonight do you think? The red card, I thought that was absolutely shit, other than that, I think first half was quite slow, we deserve we didn't really deserve anything, to be honest. Tom Ash, Minute, I'm a Spurs supporter. And yourself? JJ Walsh from Nice, Arsenal till I die. How do you manage to put up with him after that sort of result? Today, today, 
deeply disappointing, right? In fact, a humiliation. Nothing short of a humiliation. I don't want to see that happen again. They don't deserve Champions League. They really don't deserve it. I was hoping we had a close game. There'd be like 3 2, 2 1, something like that. So 3 0 was great. We enjoyed it. But I do feel sorry for Tom. So you've got. You've got an, any night at Turner's Cross, and then you've got a North London derby just below it. So that's all I gotta say. As an Arsenal fan, you never want to feel like somebody feels sorry for you. Yeah. Anyway, exactly. You know what? You know what? That's kind of what we feel these days. You know, it's increasingly a familiar. We're both clear men, though. Honestly, it is. We're both clear men, so we're used to disappointment. In fairness, and <laughs> we are. Come on, the under twenties on Saturday against Tyrone. Unbelievable, to be honest. I, I wasn't expecting it. I expected maybe like a two-one win. But to get the 3-0 was quality. Like, What do you think of the atmosphere in there? Oh, brilliant. I lost my voice. I wasn't able to scream. Basically, um, Arsenal have turned up and they've got abs- <laughs> They've had their pants pulled down. <laughs> and what, 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 every time we beat Arsenal under Pochettino, it's always like one goal. We're beating 1-0 or 2-1. I always say to mate, I really want to stick three or four past Arsenal. Well, we tonight, mate, three, we? we put three past them. Up the Spurs! Mikel Arteta, you are a fake Zara top man, pet fake Guardiola, mate. And you will get absolutely bodied next season. And listen, Conte's still here, so good luck, fella. Off. But yeah, the atmosphere was good, was this? Arsenal get battered everywhere they go! Suck on that. This is Sport Ireland Campus, and here is where it all starts. From the little ones learning to the high performance athletes leading. Here we go to play, to practice, to progress. Here is where communities in the nation come together to compete, to win, and to belong. Here we go to the next level, then on to the world stage. This is Sport Ireland Campus, and here we go. Visit sportirelandcampus.ie to be a part of it. With prices from only €289 for fully comprehensive car insurance, everyone's making the jump to getsetgo.ie. New business policies only. Prices subject to minimum premiums. C's and C's apply. MCL Insurance Services Limited Trading is getsetgo.ie is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. OTB AM. This is OTB Sports Radio. All right, it's 8 o'clock, you're watching OTB AM. Uh, you heard just before the ads there, Owen in conversation with the Arsenal Tottenham fans uh, last night. We'll be back to Owen for some of his uh, uh, reaction to that as well in just a couple of moments' time. You are watching OTB AM and we've lots coming for you between now and 10 this morning. Brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And uh, here's what's coming up on the show for you this morning. We are uh, going to uh, get stuck into our quick picks Bit more reaction from Owen in the game last night in a couple of moments, but after that, the quick picks. Uh, we're going to have Will myself is on going to be is that it oh yeah yeah, yeah triple threat uh, triple threat and sports pages 25 to 9 this morning you know what's happening across the back pages this morning uh, Ronan Jones is from Whoop and he'll be joining us just uh, before 9 o'clock this morning in studio and he's going to talk about um, how to get the best out of this thing and uh, basically we're all doing a triathlon or you know pieces of a triathlon in about a month's time and some of us are doing a little bit more training than others um, and Ronan will be giving us the best advice about how to best use the wearable 
you were going to say something there. Yeah, I was. Well, I was waiting for you to finish the nice coming up there, and I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, Alan Quinlan uh, is going to be with us after that, and uh, needless to say, plenty to talk to him uh, about the Munster developments, obviously, uh, with the new coach there. Leinster, obviously, in action this weekend. The November internationals announced, and also uh, the nominations for the Players of the Year, and we'll get his thoughts on all of that. And by the way, if you have any questions for Quinny, he'll be live with us a bit later on, so questions, comments, whatever it is you're having, uh, wherever province you're at, uh, do fire them into us, and then... um, after that, we have John Giles, John Giles and Eddie Gray special from last yeah, night. I heard some of that was very Brilliant good. Actually. Very good. Um, no, what I wanted to ask you there: um, How are you getting on with the training? Genuinely, um, there, I haven't done it. Jerry Gilroy was on the show during the week, and obviously, as he tends to do, he deflects attention away from his own we shortcomings in relation yeah. to um, the pre- preparation for the triathlon, and he uh, he foists them upon me and my lack of um, ability uh, athletically, which is plain and obvious to see. But I have not, uh, it was a bit of fake news about it because I have not, in fact, actually started training at all. Oi. I've been in the pool several times. So I'm just doing the swim leg of the triathlon uh, at the start of June. And I've been in the pool, I'm in the pool about twice a week, every week. Mm. Just not actually doing any training. Is this because of your knee problem? No, the swimming will be very good Our for that. Very good for that. Um, no, I got a bit of acupuncture on my knee during the week, actually. Very good acupun- acupuncture. I don't know. Oh. Yeah, don't Have like you? It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't like it now. I got it. I got it for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and it was really uh, unintrusive. It was actually, you know, I, I didn't find a huge benefit out of it, but it didn't feel I, there was no negative side to it. So I thought, let's go again. And he went, all right. And he doubled down and went from two needles to seven needles, and uh, I did feel a bit of that. I have to say. Speaking of needles, have you had? Dry needle treatment ever? I haven't, but I've heard no, it's that's, yeah. No, no, that's, I'm not up for that. That's an experience and a half. Uh, on an experience and a half um, around the ground pre and post last night. We got a bit of a flavour of it there before the ads. Yeah, absolutely uh, brilliant atmosphere around before the game as well. Like the high road here outside uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is just uh, a hive of activity. There is. Uh, it's interesting. Like what I found interesting, like there's a lot of different things. But like chatting to certain people before the game, maybe the result changed this tone considerably. But there was like a real air of caution about not about trouble, but kind of like people warning you about where to go, where not to go, to look after yourself, mind yourself, and mm. uh, just staying safe and stuff before the game. And even this this kind of sense of jeopardy uh, around the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium area, like don't be walking around on your own at night, especially on Derby night and all that sort of stuff. Which I'm not sure that age materialized later after I'd after I'd left the place. Um, but before the game, it did it did seem like that everything was kind of in in good spirits. Like there was a couple of Arsenal fans who kind of walked in in, in their Arsenal colours, and they did get abused, but it wasn't overly uh, it was friendly abuse. Uh, and it's just it was, it was just kind of interesting to kind of how the, the conversations around that were different from the reality. Maybe if Tottenham had lost and there was a, a lot of anger on the on the streets, things would have been very different. But it was kind of like a, a messy sort of but largely happy night after the game, which is uh, not too different to many other sporting events. You wouldn't really know it was a North London derby except for the fact that there was just lots of people around. The uh, Son stuff was really interesting last night, particularly the aftermath where he obviously storms off the pitch. I don't know if you picked up on that at the time, but he gets substituted off. He storms off, you know, gave an interview last week, said, oh, I'm not too worried about the golden boot. And uh, the evidence of that, obviously, is he walks off and isn't happy and wants to stay on and wants to score goals. He, uh, he is basically the modern day Dennis Irwin in that everybody talks about him all the time and says he doesn't get enough credit. They spend so much time talking about Son getting enough credit. Uh, class player, I presume. Was there anything you noticed, picked up last night that we wouldn't have seen on the TV from either himself or that other lad? Well, that, that's weird. Like, I, somebody did say to me after the game that Son is the most underrated player in the Premier League. It's like, like it's the biggest cliche going. It's like Cullum constantly on about Dennis Irwin being the most 
uh, being so underrated, even though everybody talks about him all the time. Should never been taken off freeze. Never. <laughs> I think that's, is that an Irish thing, though, the Dennis Irwin thing? No, like, no, he was just unbelievable at free kicks. Yeah. yeah. David Beckham, it was all a marketing strategy for David Beckham. But for Irwin, his precision was incredible. I'd love to see the stats on Irwin's free kicks versus Beckham's. I love Beckham, by the way. Just to so on, you David Beckham, the most famous man in the world, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. Who do you think is the most recognized? Oh, come on. Son. Son. Yeah, Son is absolutely <laughs> exceptional. He, he, like, uh, I mean, it's, it's just become a, a whole different beast, that attack. And that attack without the ball has become a different beast as well since they've added Kulisevsky to the mix. It's, uh, they're very, very hard to play out of, of the back against. And I, I think that him, the, like the threat that he brings on the right inside as well now, is just a completely different dimension to that Spurs team. And like I mean, I'm sure Conte would only be delighted to see uh, Youngman Son still thirsty for goals at the end of the season and still uh, really, really eager to, to add to his tally. That's going to be a contributing factor to them getting six points at the end of the season as well. He's sensational, Adrian. Like I, I, uh, I, I, do, I don't necessarily think that anybody is unaware of the talents that this guy possesses. Like he is a statistical beast, and he's also a phenomenal player to watch live so he's he kind of ticks both boxes like the eye test as well as the stats like there, there's no argument you can make that young minson isn't one of the top players in the premier league i, I i'm not sure if that narrative has ever been out there and like i think that just plays into the idea that that this tottenham team is extremely strong and like i mean chelsea would probably bite your hand off for harry kane and young minson and we were tipping them wrongly as it turned out at the start of the season to go and win the Premier League. like That is the strength that they have in, in attack. Erling Haaland has now gone to Manchester City. It looks like Harry Kane will probably be spending a bit more time at Tottenham Hotspur. It could be a, a one-club man as, as things turn out. So mm, I think in, in the attacking department, it's, 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 really, um, it's really, really encouraging. He has to knuckle down now that Erling is there. Unless, I mean, is there a chance he goes United way? Maybe, maybe in the future. I don't think this summer. I think that would be unwise because we still don't know how the Ten Hag thing will play out. Mm. Who knows though? Like he was obviously very, very keen. I guess we have to ask his brother what he's thinking and what he's got planned, what he's got masterminded for the future of uh, of Harry Kane. Um, plenty of comments coming in. Uh, somebody here you we obviously were speaking to last night, Bobby Dwyer saying he's fuming not to have made the cut. He is in the cut for another piece that we have <laughs> earlier. Right. Um, in the mix. From, so there's, there's a package on the build up to the game, the afternoon, uh, the daytime around Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which I put together, which we'll be playing later on in the show, Bobby Dwyer is very much in that. And I think anybody who doesn't make the cut in a post-match box pop should be thankful. Oh uh, yeah, to be honest. I enjoyed the dad in the video saying to his kid, "Best, best night of your best experience of your life, wasn't it?" <laughs> the kid is like, "Yeah, yeah, no, it was good. It was good. Best, best experience." And then the other guy saying that uh, you know Robbie Keane, he's, Tottenham is every generic Irish person's dream. <laughs> yeah, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Um, did you go for a pint of the Billy Nick? Moondust is wondering. No, I did not. I, I uh, you wouldn't you be seeing there. Have some sort of notion that I that I actually go for go drinking when I'm uh, doing these things. I would I would have loved to. Don't get me wrong. I'd absolutely love to, but no, I did not. Um, so finally, before we let you off, and you've been you've been chatting about Ainsley Harried as well. Anybody keen-eyed viewers would have seen him up on uh, social media yesterday. Um, kind of predicting that, like you know, it didn't really matter if they get beaten. Which I don't know if, in hindsight, now it seems like maybe not the smartest thing in the world. But uh, what were you doing chatting to Ainsley Harriet? Oh, Adrian Barry taking down Ainsley Harriet's football <laughs> takes. This is the the in, online beef that we all knew we wanted. 
like I, I, he's a massive Arsenal fan, uh, Ainsley Harry. I wanted to chat to somebody who uh, maybe was off the beaten path a little bit in terms of their footballing life. Himself and Gordon Ramsay did a very good preview of the 2002 FA Cup final, which is on Sky Sports Retro, where they made like a lot of food analogies and determined who was actually going to win on the day. I just, I just love Ainsley Harriet, and I think that he was like an interesting guy to chat to. We got him to review football foods from the Footy Scrans account as well when we chatted yesterday. He was giving a talk at a uh, catering college down in Victoria. I went down to the leafy part of London yesterday, which uh, which was nice. Felt a little bit out of out of my depth down there, but <laughs> he was uh, very welcoming and very good with his time. So I'm sure we're going to bring you a substantial amount of that before we're out this morning. Can I just ask you before we let you away, do, uh, do you feel that last night, uh, just to summarise the conversation we touched on earlier on, how much of a step back is it for Arsenal, like almost regardless of, because it's the sort of thing obviously that lingers in the mind now, like a thump at a Tottenham, best atmosphere of the season, the place is hopping, injuries for, for Arsenal, like the, you know, no matter almost what happens from here, this is one that's going to live a little bit in the in the memory. What? How much of a, a setback is it for Arteta and is it for Arsenal outside, if you can separate it from the, the results of the next couple of games? I don't know. Like, I felt that there was a number of these moments early in the season, earlier. Well, not numbered. Like, the, the Crystal Palace, the second Crystal Palace game in particular, was one of those where he thought, OK, this, this whole thing has unraveled in, in pretty brutal fashion. And as I say, they kind of bounced back with a couple of good wins against better teams, actually. Teams higher up the table, United and Chelsea, obviously. So I'm not convinced that it is the death knell on Arsenal's Champions League hopes. And it's weird that you would even need to say that because they have the table position on Tottenham. It is very much in their hands. And I don't know, like, I, if, you, if you want to like, read way too much into managers' comments, Mikel Arteta saying he'd get suspended for six months because he thought it wasn't a penalty to Tottenham last night and it was a penalty to Tottenham last night shows this pig-headed ignorance that Mikel Arteta has. That's the sort of pig-headed ignorance you're looking for in these mm. last couple of games. To say, you know what, getting smashed by your most hated rival doesn't actually matter. Of course it matters. It's Tottenham. You don't want to get smashed by Tottenham. But maybe the fact that Mikel Arteta will be able to, uh, I don't know, twist this into saying, ah, it actually doesn't matter, could be the very thing that gets him into the top four. And surely you guys, as, as people who don't have a, a dog in this fight, you can appreciate how funny it would be to see Tottenham not finish in the top four after beating Arsenal and after smashing Arsenal last night. It would be funny if they finished below Arsenal in the table, wouldn't it? No? So, in summary, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, better atmosphere than the Emirates? Well, last night, yeah. But generally. I haven't, been to an North, I haven't been to a North London derby at the Emirates. The Emirates uh, atmosphere has, has got better compared to what it used to be. But, like, I mean, this stadium is, is absolutely brilliant atmosphere-wise. Let me, let me just compare it with North London Derby at the Emirates and I'll get back to you. But uh, every game, that was obviously better than any game I've been to at the Emirates atmosphere-wise, of course, because I haven't been to a derby. And how does it compare to Parky Ring? The, question, the burning question of the morning. Oh, that's different gravy altogether. Parky Ring, just, just glorious, to be honest. And the sort of the, the, the ability to, you know, stretch your body by being on your tiptoes to be able to see at the back of the stand, the back of the terrace. That's something you miss in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which, which Parky Rin delivers. I miss Parky Rin. Um, Dave Cos on YouTube says, here we go again. United are a better team than Arsenal. Jesus wept. Far be it from the viewers of this show to misrepresent what was actually said, which uh, I think, to be fair, was not actually a point on. Like, I mean, it, it was the, the whole squad point and who the, the players they actually have on paper. Like, maybe there's a case we made that they don't, but I firmly would have believed at the start of the season that Manchester United were in a different category altogether to Arsenal. 
Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's what Ar- that was based on. Arteta went full Davy Fitz, by the way, with those comments, didn't he? That was it was like, I'm not going to comment about that thing. I'm not going to comment. I'm going to get a suspension. I wasn't sure actually. Did you say six months? I th- maybe it might have been six matches. I'm not sure. Uh, but it was. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. If I say anything. And then he sort of said something. It was uh, it was six months classic Davy Fitz to deliver the point. Yeah, I mean six games is random. He, what what yeah. was he going to say? That was and don't uh, this is a rhetorical question. What was he going to say that was going to get him a suspension for six? That would have been wild. I don't even think it was going to be that bad. <laughs> it? Like six months. Nobody gets banned yeah. for six months for saying something. What do you think he was uh, at least pretending to be annoyed about? Which specific? Incident? Well, was I it think the sending the, off or the penalty? What do you think? Owen? Well, no, I, I think it was around Youngmin Son and. Rob Holding in a grapple on the ground and Youngman Son brings back the elbow a little bit to connect with the head of yeah, was to Rob get Holding on the ground. Mm. They were saying in commentary right. they were debating that Holding's second yellow was a straight red. They could have been, yeah. Right. Yeah, could have been. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, we'll have more from you later on. Good man. Cheers. Thanks, Owen. Fair play. Uh, nearly a quarter past eight. It's Friday morning. As you can tell, we're getting a good sense from Owen of uh, the game last night. What a game it was at the very impressive, as Owen's been telling us, uh, Tottenham Stadium and the fans as well. We'll have more from them later on. Uh, and also, uh, more from Ainsley Harriet, which is what you're here for this morning, let's face it. We're also going to be a um, uh, little bit later on talking about the uh, quick picks that's coming up uh, very shortly. So that is next, in fact. We're going to mark a card for the weekend of what's going on. Look at the running order, Adrian, is what uh, Colm's uh, smile is telling you there. But uh, before that, here's a snippet. John Giles, Eddie Gray, talking to Nathan last night. It was brilliant. thing he wanted more than anything else was an FA Cup. Can you put into context for people who, who don't remember that time, in compared to leagues, European Cups, just how big an occasion an FA Cup final was? Well, yeah, well, the FA Cup final was like Grand National Day in, in the racing. Thing. It was once a year. It was on the television from 11 o'clock in the morning, going through the games... It was just like a national day, uh, and the history of it was fantastic. And I think most players, to be honest, would, would rather win the cup than the league. And, and certainly a lot of the, their own supporters would, because the, the league could be won, as, had to be won over 42 matches, as we know. But cup final day was cup final day, and it was a glamour day. It was, it was, it was huge. They had 100,000 at Wembley. And there wasn't much football on television in the early mm. days, Nathan. You know, so it was a big treat for people as well. But but everything stopped. It was it was a, a national day, and at that time in 1972 when we played there, that's what it was, and that's why it was so big. You know, like like if you talk to football people, well, Eddie's great on football and on 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 the history of it. If you ask people who won the league in 1971 or two or, or before. Most people wouldn't know, but most people who follow football would know who won the cup in 69, 70, 71, 72, and before. It was National Day, and, and it, was, it was a glamour day, Nathan. That was a special FA Cup final as well, Eddie. It was the centenary FA Cup final. The Queen was in attendance. John talks there about the glamour. As a club and as a group, was it treated differently in terms of how you would prepare for the game? Would you get to stay in a better hotel the night before the match? Were the, the special cup suits? Was Were there more family oh, yeah. members brought? I mean, it's a one-off game then, the cup final. As John says, it was the most important single game in the whole calendar. And it was a game that everybody was looking forward to. You know, and I'll never forget, you know, like, when you go to Wembley, went to Wembley in those days, you're driving up Wembley Way and you see the Twin Towers. It was a great feeling of excitement. 
and you're looking forward to it so much. And thank goodness, you know, after the you know, disappointments we had in a few cup finals, the club, we eventually won it when we beat the Arsenal. And it was a great day for everybody connected with the football club. So many critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. It's 17 minutes past eight. It's OTB AM. It is, of course, Quick Picks. Owen is still with us. Will, good morning to you. Morning lads, how are you getting on? Flying it, thanks. Owen is uh, still, for anybody who's watching this uh, on demand after the show, Owen is outside the very impressive Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and we're making as many comparisons as we can with his uh, trip to Parky Rin last week and we'll try and shoehorn more of that in as we work through it here. Uh, we don't have an update on the table. Um, I know that I got a couple of the results wrong last week, so um, uh, we shall see. We shall see how we develop on that. I'm assured, because I know the viewers want it, we are going to have a table in whatever shape or form that's going to be when we join you next week. But let's get straight into it. And we're going to kick off here, I think, with the football and I think with Mona and Derry. Let's get a look at uh, how everybody's going here. So uh, for this one, it's Monaghan across the board. And to be absolutely fair to her, she's sticking to her word of uh, yesterday's show. And Ashling is the one um, exception to the rule. And she's going with Derry. So, but it's Monaghan across the board after that from uh, Owen and Will and myself. And uh, Tommy, what are your... Uh, Derry can't, Will, continue what they set off on is your basic argument here, is it? Jeez, thanks for uh, making the argument up for me there, Adrian. Um, <laughs> I had to be consistent on this. We joked about it last week. I said if I flip the opinion on this and go for Derry to beat Monaghan, some smartass in the comments is going to turn around and go, well, he was thinking it was going to be a Donegal against Monaghan Ulster final and very quickly be pointed out that I changed my mind. This is bloody tricky to call because um, Derry obviously completed a complete demolition job on Tyrone and the question mark is how off it were Tyrone and I take the point that they were way off it on the day but Derry were very impressive they were impressive throughout the National Football League I was actually chatting to the awfully football captain Johnny Maloney yesterday and he was pointing out that Derry were by far the best team they had played in Division 2 and that really had just gone south on the game that they played against Galway but Derry really should have been in contention for uh, Division 1 promotion for next season and it's not like as if that game against Rome was just a flash in the pan. They've been really good all season. But um, this Monaghan team were very close to landing the Anglo Celts last season. They pushed Rome all the way at Crow Park in an Ulster final. And I expect them to just go back to the final just about against Derry. This is a game where I can't really see more than two points between the sides. And I reckon it's going to be the Farneymen who come out just on top. Yeah, like, look, at it is hard. And feel free to change your mind, Will. I do think that as we work our way through the championship, we are absolutely... I overheard a parent telling their kid one day, years ago, saying, the kid was like, but you said this thing to me last week. And the parent was like, listen, I'm not obliged to be consistent. And uh, it's it's a rule of thumb that I've uh, I've worked off um, ever since. And I think it applies here, Owen. I think that, like, if we see the body of evidence and stuff, like, the dairy thing is probably the biggest upside of the championship so far and we're entitled to um, change our minds on the basis of it but you're not you're sticking with Monaghan Yeah I'd say the biggest upset of the championship so far especially given the magnitude of the win I don't think anybody expected them to win by that much I'm interested that Tommy's actually gone for Monaghan here given he was on the yeah. Derry bandwagon mm. before the Tyrone match but maybe that just speaks to his lack of confidence in Tyrone rather than his confidence in Derry and we can't forget that Monaghan were outstanding in their last championship match as well for me that was going to be a little bit of a question mark for them this season given the end of the league campaign required such an effort from them to survive and there was such a high obviously that day when they relegated Dublin I wondered how would they carry that into this year's championship 
and it turns out that they just picked up where they left off in the league. Obviously, this is a far bigger test than down this weekend. This is their biggest test of the championship so far, obviously. And I wonder how much of that hurt that defeat to Tyrone last year will contribute to their effort this weekend and, and maybe into an Ulster final. I was a bit like Will as well. I would have definitely predicted a Monaghan Donegal Ulster final a few weeks ago. So consistency, the name of the game here. <laughs> and Donegal ultimately to win it, I think. Anyway, are we still sticking with that? Uh, not sure. I think that's a very... I, I, like it's, I mean, it's, I, I think that regardless of what the constellation is going to be in the final, I think it'll be an excellent final and a very, very hard one to call. I, I'm not necessarily sold fully on Donegal, especially against Monaghan in a final. I'd be backing them against Derry in a final. Um, just to preview, I guess, their quick picks in a month's time. My um, prediction is largely based on sort of being pig-headed from my um, initial Tyrone uh, prediction when they were playing Derry a couple of weeks ago. And, and like, there can be, and look, we're in the prediction of sort of looking into a crystal ball here, so um, who, this might look idiotic in a week's time. Um, but there can be a knock-on impact of between Owen outside the London Stadium and Hank. We're getting it all this morning. There can be a knock-on impact from teams who've pulled off a big result like that, and we've seen that umpteen times through the years the most recent example obviously is uh, Mayo against Tyrone themselves obviously last year and then coming up short a bit in the final and also Tyrone 2022 is not they're not Tyrone of last year like I know we're talking about it as an upset and I know there's I predicted Tyrone to beat Derry so it's absolutely hindsight but it wasn't the same like we don't know actually how good that Derry win was Will yeah, I mean, that is the question mark. We'll probably learn a lot more by the end of play on Sunday afternoon to see where they actually were with that performance. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I take Moylesy's point as well on OTB last week about Tyrone that maybe we'll learn more about them depending on who they get in the first round of the qualifiers to get a real sense of where they are because there's no doubt that losing some of the panel depth, even if they weren't necessarily starters that left the panel earlier this year, uh, can't have helped them. And then... We looked at their league form and we kind of thought, yeah, they just about did enough at the end. They just about saved their own hide. And then they just couldn't come up to the performance level that we saw from Derry the last day. So that obviously factors a lot into where we try and gauge where Derry are at. I'm kind of way on on this one. I think if Derry qualify, I would fancy Donegal in the final. If Monaghan were to qualify... I think Monaghan have got a really good chance of winning the Ulster Championship, albeit like you've got to respect the consistency of Donegal. That's 12 years now they've got to 10 Ulster finals. Um, we always talk about how difficult it is to try and navigate your way through Ulster, especially if you have to go the long way and you've got a preliminary round and then working your way through you know, other effectively Division 1 teams across the board. For Donegal to be doing that year on year is an incredible achievement. Mm. That will be a conversation for another day and we will come back to it. That's uh, Monaghan Derry to kick things off. Next up, we're into the Leinster semi-finals. Kildare, Westmeath to begin with. And uh, we have, I'm happy to report, across the board, lads, all gone for Kildare. Aye, Adrian. Every single one of us. It's inevitable, Will, really what I'm saying here. This you is won't like be welcome back in at loan. Go on, why they, are you well, going Well, they're the odds on favourite to win the game. Like, you know, I have spoken before. I was at the Westmead game a couple of weeks ago. They were very good against, for a period against... A, and look, they were an average team on the day. I'm fed up sort of insulting people in this show. So I'm going to say on the day, you know, Longford are better than they showed. Is that the cliche that we use in these, uh, these instances? They were better than they were that day. But like, if I think the way I would look at it, if Westmeath can play like they did for the um, from about the 15th minute to half time the last day and a little bit towards the end of the game at Kiswick Park a couple of weeks ago, I think they, to be honest with you, on the basis of playing like that consistently, they could put it up to any team in Leinster and I include the big dogs in it. 
Absolutely no question about it. <laughs> but their ability to do that, uh, the evidence of which I haven't seen much. But look, um, on the basis of that, Kildare are odds-on favourite, long odds on Westmeath, and you know we'll we'll roll over and have our uh, bellies tickled here, will. Well, I was sure you were going to go for Westmead in this one, not just because of your heart, but also because during the league you were backing against Kildare in every single game that they played in Division 1. And you made plenty of friends in Kildare along the way as you were uh, predicting against them every week. But, yeah, I mean, look, based on the where Kildare were at in the league compared to Westmead, based on how, you know, Kildare went out against a loud team who we were talking about had been so impressive in the first round where, you know, they put five goals past Carlo, had been promoted up to Division 2 of the league. We were talking about that being a potential banana skin and Kildare went out with a very professional performance in Tullamore and booked their place into the semi-finals. If Kildare hit their level and, you know, they've been boosted by the fact that their 20s have been going so well this year too. It's a little bit unfortunate, I think, that that game is on Carrigan Shannon on Saturday against Tyrone and that the game didn't get to get played at Crow Park. I wonder if any of the players from the under-20s will be factored into the panel after Saturday or if maybe that's a question mark for later down the road because they've got some particularly good uh, forwards in that under-20 team. I think Kildare, on the balance of it, should probably beat Westmead, but I am slightly wary that like Westmead have run Kildare close in recent years when they've met in the Championship, and I was very impressed with the way that Westmead had played against Longford in that quarter-final in the last round. So I don't think this is a total gimme for Kildare, but yeah, you would expect the Lily Whites to advance. Yeah, they're a far better team owned. They're in a different division, and uh, you know, Westmead are just there to make up the numbers. Is that the lesson I should learn from you? Well, I, like I mean. You've stopped trolling Leinster counties now, so you're now trying to coax other people into troll them for you. Uh, you, you. You just retired. You've you've hung up the jacket of being chief Leinster football troll, and he decided to get us to do your dirty work for you. Um, I'm not going to say anything bad about Kildare, considering I've I've tipped them. And the same with Westmead. I mean, I actually got accused of being too in love with Westmead during an early iteration of the power rank and that forward unit um, in in the wide spaces there. I think uh, on Sunday, like they should really be looking to, to rack up a score. Obviously, Westmead will have something to, to, to say about that. But this Kildare team, I think they're not thinking we can take down Dublin this year. Uh, they're not in the right headspace. I don't think they will beat Dublin, but I think they have to be thinking that they can do it. And they proved in the league that, that they were uh, on level power with them, if not a little bit ahead of them in the springtime. So so why not? Yeah, Kildare, Kildare's to, uh, to lose on. They're all over that. I hear, I hear what you're saying. Dublin um, Mead is the uh, next port of call here. The other uh, Leinster game and everybody... And I mean, you're surprised that I have gone for Kildare over Westmeath. Everybody has gone for Dublin here. Um, even, is that a typo? Is that, did he definitely, Tommy definitely go for Dublin? I'm surprised and shocked about that. And I would love to uh, sort of satellite him in from uh, whatever part of America he's in at the minute. But uh, that ain't possible. So, uh, Kieran Whelan uh, making the point this morning in his column in the Irish Independent, urging caution, uh, saying that the win over Wexford, a good sign, but not a reason to pick out your jacks are back. T-shirt. Well, mm, I don't know. I mean, I was watching the football pods earlier this week, and uh, Tommy didn't offer a whole lot of resistance when Meath were effectively written off uh, by both of his co-hosts. Uh, James O'Donnell said that Meath have absolutely no chance on Sunday. Was incredibly dismissive of their chances against Dublin. Uh, Paddy Andrews tried to kind of uh, talk Dublin down a little bit, and then he said, "Nah, nah, Dublin should win very comfortably against Meath this weekend." I don't know. Are they back? I mean. Obviously, Con is back in the team. Against Wexford, it was just such a cakewalk and they were just fisting points over for fun in that game in Wexford Park. They showed pretty much complete control. We saw Fenton pretty much back towards his best too. 
I think there was definite positive signs compared to what we saw earlier in the league against Dublin. And even in the end, they went down swinging at the end of the National Football League, at least. Um, yeah, I look, Mead, I saw them twice in the flesh during the National Football League. Uh, they probably got away with one a little bit in Tullamore with the uh, late goal, which probably should have been called as a square ball. Um, what was the other game I saw them against? Cork as well. Um I don't know. I mean, I think if this Dublin attack gets going, they can get in behind that Mead defence. But whether Mead can be just a team that can contain Dublin during the fixture and maybe try and hit them on the counter-attack, it's hard to know. We've had so many times in recent years where we've gone, yeah, Mead look well-primed to give Dublin a good crack. And I would take the point that Dublin's level is probably not where they were at when they were winning All-Ireland after All-Ireland. But I still think Dublin are a little bit better than Mead, lads. Just a little bit better, on. What do you think in terms of margin? Yeah, like the question is, what does the Jacks being back actually mean? Like, is it being back to the level where they are, by a distance, the dominant team in the country? Uh, like, I'm, I'm not sure if we're, we're going to see that, but are they back enough for them to not be looking like they're on the downward and be much better than me? I think, I, I don't, I'm not even sure that that's a return to form. I just think that that's just the, the standard of this this team. Where, where do you think they're the at? To, to answer Kieran Whelan's question, what the win over the win over Wexford is a bit of a stick and plaster and we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Where do you think they're at right now? Specifically, I think that the bookies have this right in having them as second favourites for the All-Irelands. That's mm. where I think they are. I think, I think they're the second best team in the country and I think that the second best team in the country beats Mead. Uh, like this is not two Division Two teams going up against each other. That's what the form lines will tell you if you take 2022 into account. Dublin are not a Division Two team. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, the performance against Wexford. I mean, we, we will know on Sunday how much we can read into it. I think it'll be you can judge it on the, the magnitude of victory. I know there are people in Meath who are confident that we'll win at the weekend because that feeds into the fact that Meath came relatively close last year against Dublin, who were clearly flailing around trying to find some bit of form. But we still saw that flailing Dublin get to within an inch of actually making an All-Ireland final last year, which is a ridiculous level to be at when you're clearly in a bit of trouble. So it looks like they're in better form. It looks like the, the mood in the camp, to use that terrible cliche, is a bit more positive at the moment than it was last year. So that suggests to me that they're better than the team who always, almost made it to an All-Ireland last year. So that, to me, speaks of a team that, that's in pretty fine fettle and uh, Leinster Championship is surely coming their way. Uh, so I'm not necessarily sure that this is actually a very linear thing where the form we saw at various times over the last 12 months is just going to continue on the downturn. I think that there is a thing in the tail coming from Dublin. Whether or not it materialises in Ireland, I'm not convinced, but I think they are second favourites. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And I think that in terms of the Leinster Championship, it's fair enough to say that there's never been a point where the teams have been closer and still expect Dublin to win the thing, which I think is where we're at heading into this weekend and beyond. A couple of comments into us before we move on to the Hurling O'Toole on YouTube saying, I think Derry made Tyrone look bad think uh, more credit needs to go to Rory Gallagher and how he managed multiple All-Stars and stifled Morgan in goal. Uh, Daryl O'Toole says, not a eunuch in sight between Westmeath and Kildare. Again, nice misrepresentation of the point there, Daryl, good man. And uh, Dave Coz is wondering, and we leave this one with you, Will, um, show Hank the doggo. It'll make it a real happy Friday. Let you, uh, uh, let you, let you work okay, away. Okay, right, you get the hurling... You get the hurling predictions ready. We, I'll try we, and uh, we get want, away from We want me. to hear hear more from you than we want to see Hank the dog. I'm not going to lie. Although we'll do wonders for our for our numbers, so you know, feel free I'll to find him. Get, get Hank up and run it there. Uh, Water for Cork is going to be our uh, first port of call here. Actually, sorry, 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 sorry. I'll reverse back slightly. We have not covered Tipperary Limerick in the football, uh, which I think is a very hard one to call. And uh, everybody is going for Limerick, apart from myself. I think it's one of the most 50-50 matches uh, that we've looked at. I have 
slightly leaned on the side of Tipperary in that they've probably achieved a little bit more in the championships obviously over the last couple of years um, who the hell knows has anybody own anything significant say about Tip, uh, Tip Limerick well the reason I'm going for Limerick in this one is because of the experience that they got in that win over Clare and actually getting a championship win in unbelievably dramatic fashion having a week off to recover if it was last weekend I'd probably be painting that as a negative but because it's been a week off I'm painting it as a positive for this Limerick side I don't think Tipperary have been Great. I think that if you look at league position, obviously they're they're both getting promoted out of two different divisions, and I know I use that logic to predict that Clare will beat Limerick in the last round. So I haven't a clue what I'm talking about really when it when it comes down to this sort of stuff. It, it's on a knife edge this one, but Limerick I think just after the boost of the Clare win, I think I think might just edge this. Very difficult to call. We move on to the hurling, and Dave is very excited. He's spotted something that I haven't, which must be Hank. Uh, moving on to the hurling, Waterford Court to begin with. Let's see which way we're all going here. Uh, Waterford across the board, uh, Owen Ashing, Will, myself and Tommy all go in the same direction. Um, and I suppose it's another one of those fixtures that while we are all going the same way, it's not going to be astonishing, Will. Like, obviously, Walsh Park is a factor. Cork's three defeats in a row is a factor. A little bit of credit the last day. Of course, there's more improvement to come. We may see that this weekend. But on the evidence, it does look like Waterford. It does. It uh, looks like it could be Waterford by a little bit of a distance too if they really get going in this fixture. So Waterford are trying to bounce back from their defeat against Limerick just before the break and given the form that Clare have shown so far, Waterford got a bit of work to do if they're going to qualify for a Munster final. You know, They came flying into the championship this year on the back of winning the National Hurling League where realistically they demolished Cork at Semple Stadium in the Division 1 decider and the fear if you were a Cork fan would be that something similar could happen this weekend if Waterford can get moving and particularly the damage that their forward line were able to do at Semple Stadium that day. If they can do that at Walsh Park again, Waterford could run up a scoreline. Just a very quick clarification, and this almost proves the point that we were talking about yesterday, about how poorly GA records are kept. Massive dispute now over where Patrick Horgan actually is with the top scoring. So he's level with Joe Canning, uh, according to... Echo Live uh, in Cork who went through all of the numbers very carefully uh, with a fine comb and that he will take the record tomorrow. There's some dispute and some people saying that he actually went a couple of points ahead of Joe Canning after the Clare game but it seems that he's level currently because he scored 19 points this season 10 and 9 across the first two games so he will take the record outright at Walsh Park at the weekend. I think the GA website was saying that he's 7 behind so it's amazing that you can have that much variance of anywhere between 7 behind and 2 ahead and just because so the GA need to keep the records better than they do. But Patrick Horgan probably gets the record, but will be on the losing team against Waterford. Yeah, I think that's uh, seems to be the way things are. Right. What's Hank? We never got around to our uh, Hank selecting his games of the week every week. No, he's never quite got to that level where he's actually happy enough to decide to take, say, two things off. Like I said, we get a plate with the uh, same treat on both. He yeah. doesn't seem to be overly comfortable with doing that. Um, this morning, like he seems incredibly unhappy. I'm sure David's delighted on YouTube, but he was playing single-handedly with his little tug-of-war um, rope that I have for him that we usually play with. And uh, he was pulling away at that and then barking at me for not uh, pulling that the other side of it. Yeah. And uh, now he's been picked up and all he's doing is looking back down at his rope to try and get back to it. So I'll <laughs> let him back down in a minute. Is he, he's just a bit camera shy, is that what we're saying here? He's, ah, no, he's never, he's never been camera shy as he yeah, uh, decides to give the true. microphone a good kick there. But um, Hank, no, I think he Hank, just wants oh, he to play. He's at the point. <laughs> we need to get anyway, some sort he'll, of he'll a light. We need to get him set up with a set of headphones, don't we? And, uh, yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll stay quietly for the rest of the quick picks here. Come on, Hank. You've, you've served a purpose for, uh, for Dave this morning anyway. That is uh, Waterford Cork. Claire Limerick next up. Uh, whoa. So, Owen 
myself and Tommy are all going for Limerick. Ashling is going for Clare. And Will O'Callaghan, he's alive and well. And he's back on for a draw. Like, look, it is a hard one. I can't tell you why I absolutely think Limerick is going to win this, other than every time Limerick pop, pop up in quick picks, I have to go for them. Well, look, firstly, draws are perfectly OK to go for. I think we need to establish that now because there was uh, some claims it was an issue back in the league. I have to pick one way or another. This is a game where I genuinely think it could be a draw um, because Clare have been in complete and utter flying form so far first two fixtures now they've got two difficult games to finish they still have to play against Limerick and Waterford but they're in a really good place to qualify in the Munster Championship they drew against Limerick when the teams met in Cusick Park earlier this year Clare possibly should have won that game Limerick go into this still without Keane Lynch still some question marks about the performance for the first hour particularly against Tipperary last week I know that Limerick performed really well in the last 10 or 11 minutes of that game and got the job done. Again, they reached the 30 points. Incredible consistency that we've seen from Limerick so far this year. But I just fancy Clare to really push them to their limit. And while it may well be a case that Limerick do something similar to Tipperary last week and just have a little bit too much at the end, I would not be surprised at all if Clare get a result. And in this case, I think that result could well be a draw. Look, we had a draw when we had a very close game between uh, Wexford and uh, Galway earlier this season. It is a round-robin section. It is a case of two teams looking to advance towards a Munster final here. And I'm going draw in Ennis this weekend. Yeah, and look, it'll be an interesting fixture from loads of different uh, reasons as to who's actually going to be on or not on the Limerick team. And I'm sure everybody will be keeping an eye on that. I don't know if it's going to be too they'll, much of they'll a... Go, they'll go strong, Adrian. I think... I think they actually have to um, because yeah. they underperformed last week. I think if they had gone out and put in the expected performance against Tipperary and won by eight or ten points and absolutely eased home uh, with the victory where it actually felt like it was an eight or ten point beating as opposed to them just finishing the game strongly, I think John Kiley might have been tempted to rotate his squad a little bit more. But instead, it was a win of that variety, but not that in reality. So I think he'll want to go out and keep his team in pretty good form because they've got a break coming up after this uh, before a potential Munster final too. So I think John Kiley goes strong. Not uh, the, the events post-Tipperary match on not a factor? Well, I think it could be a factor, as Will says, maybe in a, in a positive sense after the performance uh, last weekend. Like, I think if there's any negative headlines that have been around Limerick, they've tended to answer that in one way, which is... Uh, pretty dominant performance like I, I, for me it was just a sense of do I overthink this and look at what Clare have done and have they played strong enough opposition to get them a chance against Limerick or do I just uh, underthink this and just tip Limerick for every game that they're involved in so that's kind of pretty much the, the rationale here I think uh, Clare have been great to watch and, and brilliant in attack really looking forward to seeing how they match up physically with Limerick it does feel that that's the sort of only way or that's the, the theoretical only way that you can beat Limerick if you're big enough and strong enough to beat them can a team play around them can a team be smart enough and quick enough in attack to beat Limerick that, that'll be a really interesting one if there's some sort of kryptonite to Limerick because it does feel that the narrative is out there that the only way you can beat Limerick is through brute strength which is what Limerick are very good at themselves so Clare I think maybe have the tools to, to show something different this weekend so really looking forward to it and I hope I, I'm glad to hear that Will thinks that, that they're going to be at full strength I really hope that we're going to see uh, the two top teams potentially in Munster at the moment go toe to toe I know Waterford will have something to say about that but the two top teams championship form wise anyway if they're at full strength it'll be a cracker Last fixture to take a look at is Dublin Kilkenny. Let's see which way everyone's going on this one. We have Kilkenny across the board. And like there is, Will, I know that uh, 
to Wexford game particularly I know I went for Wexford in that one and you're like well traditionally that they should get over the, over the line here and you look at the table and you think ah oh, well Dublin are in a very strong position but when you dig into it in terms of the quality they've played like Kilkenny are the only I mean look at Wexford notwithstanding and obviously Dublin came through that test but Dublin, uh, Kilkenny are the only team that have played maybe one of the traditional powerhouses and it's certainly a factor as to why I'm leaning their, their direction what are you thinking? Yeah um, obviously look the fact that Dublin started off with you know, they had two of their first three games were Leash at home, Westmeath away, where they were expected to pick up points. They were four of the points that they put up on the board. And then the bonus was to go to Wexford and get a result, which leaves them in a very strong position uh, to qualify from the Leinster Championship, even if it's not for the Leinster final, uh, to be one of the top three to go to the All-Ireland Championship proper. This is now the first of two big tests for them. They've got Kilkenny at home. They got completely bullied by Brian Cody's side when the teams met in the league in Parnell Park just a couple of months ago. And that physicality from the Kilkenny forward line is something that Dublin will have to deal with much better if they're to have any chance of getting a result in this game on Saturday evening. I think Kilkenny still have too much for Dublin, even if Dublin do tighten up from that performance uh, in the league. They got obviously played really well away from home against Wexford and it was a collective effort. Uh, no more so probably personified than Sutcliffe going in for a block on Liam Ryan right towards the end of the game when he could easily have just decided to take up a position to make it difficult for the pass. He broke himself to get across and actually make a block down. That's what you'll get from Dublin. Again, as I've said multiple times on this show, they've got an elite free taker who is always going to be able to stick over scores for them if Dublin get presented with enough chances. But I think this Kilkenny team is just a little bit too strong for them. And Kilkenny bounce back from the Galway game and put themselves right back into a very strong position to qualify for the final because Dublin and Galway will meet at Parnell Park in the last round of fixtures. So this could be set up very nicely for the last round because you're going to have Kilkenny against Wexford and you're going to have, um, sorry, the last game's in Salt Hill, so Galway against Dublin in the last round. So Galway should have enough done by the time we get to the final round, but it might be a chase to see who's in the final two positions. Kilkenny to win this weekend and to put themselves in pole position to qualify, I think. All right, we've all gone that way. Will, Owen, Hank, thanks a million. That's quick picks. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but... They're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. All right, it's nearly a quarter to nine. A very good morning to you, wherever it is you're uh, picking us up this morning. I hope you're well, and uh, do keep the comments coming into us. If you have anything on your mind about the football, the rugby, we've Alan Quinlan coming up uh, live a little bit later on to look ahead to the weekend's uh, Heineken Cup and plenty more besides as well. So whatever it is uh, that's... uh, uh, on your mind this morning in relation to rugby do get your comments and questions in and we'll, we'll come back to him a bit later on uh, you are watching OTBM brought to you live each morning uh, by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day as I said that's coming up we'll have Ronan Jones in studio as well uh, from Whoop and we're all taking on the um, try a thigh in a few weeks time uh, three weeks time at this stage so probably a good time that we uh, start doing a bit of training we'll have more on that in just a little bit as well so it is as I said a quarter to nine JD good morning to you Adrian, how are you? A great morning. Never mind, good morning. Great morning. It's a good morning to be a Spurs fan. A 3 0 win, biggest league win since 1983. And it was, I'd love to have been there last night, just looking at the te- television. It was, it seems to be an absolutely fantastic atmosphere. Harry Kane said he's the best he played in. And uh, Owen, well done. It looks like you're getting danger money for uh, getting some of those interviews last night. Yeah. Um, yeah. Congratulations, John. Uh, what a sad little life is what I feel like uh, doing this morning going into that sort of ramble. But uh, yeah, when you look at that atmosphere last night, it's kind of hard to argue against the fact that, that Tottenham are in a good place. Uh, like, I mean, the, obviously the, the significant factor is the fact that regardless of the result last night, it was out of Tottenham's hands. But if you want to go all in on Spurs, the one argument you could make is that they did as much as they possibly could to punish Arsenal in a way that 
might mentally destroy them for one of their remaining two games. That's the one thing you could say in terms of, you know, it not being in Spurs' hands. Maybe maybe it is. Maybe the fact that they beat them significantly and show that they are a better team uh, is, is actually a way that they, they can bring it back into their hands and suggest that Arsenal might be frail come Monday night. They put a seed of doubt into Arsenal's minds, I think. And I think Arsenal will beat Everton. I think Everton are not great on the road. And I think a home game, last day of the season, I think Arsenal can win that. But Newcastle is, is the key game now. Uh, it is in Arsenal's... Uh, compass to win this uh, Champions League spot but what White do we know what his hamstring situation is Gabriel limped off um, Kieran Tierney isn't fit Rob Holding will be suspended now this is a real test of Arsenal's character and I thought Arteta was rattled in that interview that he did with uh, Sky last night uh, did you get to the Conservative Club Bone? I did <laughs> uh, I, I, met, I met your nephew John oh did you good Duncan an absolute, <laughs> Duncan an absolute gent of a man I'd say he in, enjoyed last night it took me so the Conservative Club for people who don't know uh, John tipped me off about it and I looked it up on uh, Google obviously and there was like a I put the pin on Google Maps and it took me about five attempts walking past it before I realised what it actually was <laughs> that there is like par- cars parked outside it's like a dilapidated old building and there was kind of like a, a man outside having a cigarette and uh, I had to ask him, is this a conservative club? And he was like, it is. I hope you're not planning on going in to film in there. And then sure enough, a guy comes out the front door and he's like, oh, and she in. And I'm like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Duncan. I thought you were John Duncan's nephew. So it all just kind of came together nicely. I literally bumped into your nephew as things uh, turned out. So he saw the off the ball mic then, did he? Yeah. He's yeah. got similar mannerisms to you, John. You can see, you can see that you're uh, genuine relatives. Uh, I loved the, um, the Winston Churchill photo in the middle of the place. I was told it's not necessarily a conservative political club, but I guess, you know, they have to be on brand in some way. Very, very interesting place. It felt, um, yeah, I think you, you referred to it as a speakeasy before I flew over, John, and uh, I think that's exactly how you describe it. A, a, a genuine, genuine place. I think the high road here where I am at the moment is very much mainstream, and the conservative club is for people, the grizzled veterans, of uh, the old White Hart Lane path. Yeah, the old stories and people have been to hundreds of games and uh, haven't missed a game since their wedding or something like that, 50 years ago, that kind of thing. So uh, cheap mm-hmm. points and uh, hopefully you kept your Arsenal affiliations under under wraps on. I did, I did. I felt like this, I felt I had disowned them at some points yesterday. It was just, it was just because there were so many people who were genuinely uh, warning me about the possibility of trouble between the supporters but I guess what they were worried about was that if Arsenal win what you would have is whatever 55,000 uh, angry people as opposed to 5,000 angry people and those Arsenal fans were angry to be fair there was that was that was the hostile environment <laughs> last night was uh, going out to chat to the Arsenal fans not the other way around because at previous games at White Hart Lane or the new stadium you know the police would be in a like a phalanx and they would escort all the fans down the street to the south stand uh, or the whatever what used to be the south stand but whatever area they're in and then they go in and then they're they're in a pen and then they've got to wait and then they go out did you see an yeah. organization to the way the arsenal fans were corralled last night or was the case yeah. more of a free-for-all yeah that's 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 exactly how it was done so they, they came out and uh up there they were away exit and they couldn't turn right there was like uh, police fans all lined up and you could see like a wave of spurs fans waiting there and the same once they came down the other road as well uh to, to stop them going down certain ways and then after about maybe 40 minutes post uh full time the, the bands all moved and all the spurs fans came through it was it was kind of like it was it, it is a little bit um threatening because like i was i was standing there chatting to arsenal fans and there was maybe like a dozen of us there and then you could see about 50 meters away, just behind this wall of police, like thousands of Spurs fans, like goading the Arsenal fans. And I'm like, 
is that going to be like a charge here or something mm. like that? It kind of it, it felt uh, a, a little bit, there was a bit of an edge like that. But of course, that, that was the whole plan for the police. I don't know. It was it was interesting. I think I was just probably a little bit. Is it? Uh, I don't. Uh, yeah. Is it a bit like uh, hold me hold me back, let me at him sort of stuff, or like if the barriers weren't there, <laughs> would they actually go at it? No, I think I think if, the, if it was the other way around, I think that would have been interesting or not interesting, maybe a bit might, more might uh, controversial. Off. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. I, th- I think that that's probably what people were cautious about is that if there's no way, uh, it's just 5,000 people. I don't even know how many away fans there are. 5,000 is a pretty arbitrary number. There's that number of people in, in the stadium, you know, goading the fans on their way out, looking possibly looking for a bit of trouble. Then the home crowd are not going to be too happy. But the other way around, I think everything was fine. Question of the morning, JD, is would you rather be in Tottenham's position right now or Arsenal's? Hypothetical. Forget about I'd, your allegiances. I'd rather be in Arsenal's because they've they've got the lead in the table. But, but a that. tougher tougher couple of fixtures. They do, but it was all about the points in the board. And Burnley are not going to be an easy task for Spurs early on a Sunday morning. Um, they got to break them down. We know they're going to put ten players behind the ball. So um, if Spurs can beat Burnley, that adds another layer of pressure to Arsenal. And it's all about Newcastle. Um, I'm I'm all in with the Saudis for one night only on Monday. Um, to see if Newcastle can take a, a, a point off Arsenal, um, a couple of points off Arsenal, or even win the game. So, look, I still think Arsenal have it, but um, I think they'd be rattled from what happened last night. And, and I think, it, to me, what I saw was a callousness and a youthful naivete to Arsenal. Like Rob Holding, don't know what he was doing, to be honest. Mm. And Son played for a lot of that, and Son was clever. And Harry Kane and Son were the two class players in the pitch. And I think it's psychologically a huge. Um, tipping point whoever gets fourth because for Arsenal they've got a young team youngest team in the league an indisciplined team by the way 13th red card under Arteta um, but they can usually they can build they can get a striker if they get into the Champions League and if Conte mm. gets in the Champions League you feel that he's going to stay he might try and build something with Daniel Levy if they don't get into the Champions League will Kane stay uh, there's a lot riding on I think this. there's an exodus yeah even from Conte's point of view uh, I, well Conte uh, he either wants everything to be his way or he's not interested mm. and 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 he sets out a stall in that regard and and that's been his um, legacy all through his managerial career that Chelsea once it didn't start working out in the second season he was gone yeah um so he's not a guy I know generally about three seasons uh, you can't see Con Arteta's there for the long haul Conte might not be there for the long haul so Conte is like bringing like players like Benton Corian and Kulisevsky and um He's there to make a, an impact in the in the medium term, not the long term. So he needs the backing to do that. And Tottenham are a club that generally been quite parsimonious in giving their backing. Can I ask you the question in a slightly different way? If you somebody said you've got to uh, put your mortgage on one of them to finish <laughs> in the Champions League, I'm asking the right man here. I know that. What, well, uh, which I, way would you go? I, I do think Arsenal have the edge, but I I, I do feel Tottenham have the momentum, and I, I just feel we might just get it. And I'm hoping that. Oh, and the noise, the noise is the key thing at that stadium, isn't it? That that stadium, the, the acoustics are amazing, aren't they? Yeah, like as, as I said earlier on, I, I, again, you do get swept away in the moment, but you do kind of think, how, how does... It's a really, really tough task to come to the stadium and win. But I, I'm sure it was just at a level above any other sort of, um, any other night. And a, a lot of Spurs fans did say it, that it was like the, the best they'd ever heard it. A lot of people mentioned that West Ham game in the Carabao Cup before Christmas as, as, like, a na- as like a night with uh, massive passion, uh, according to, to, to match scores, to regular match scores. But last night was up there. It is, I mean, it, it's, John, it's an incredible stadium. And they definitely have thought about how can we make this uh, a competitive asset to us when they were redeveloping the whole stadium because that's exactly what it is and I, I think you're right if, it, if they get Champions League next season and Conte stays and they added a few more players to the mix 
Like you'd wonder what the the limit actually is for this Tottenham team all of a sudden after at the start of this season, wondering would they have Harry Kane at the end of the season, would they even qualify for the Europa League? So it's amazing how things have changed. And I know we can get carried away and with one results, but it does seem the mood music in this this part of London is very, very positive. It couldn't. It was the perfect night for a Tottenham fan. It's the Tottenham Stadium. It's the old rivals. It's yeah. players get sent off, yeah. lose the head. Managers lost the plot on the sideline. Comprehensively beat them out the gap. Put the seed of doubt in the mind. You. It's the perfect scenario for for a Tottenham fan. Well, how how often do you get to be able to celebrate for half an hour that you're going to beat Arsenal comprehensively in a yeah. game that matters? Never and be able to to sing the chants that you were singing. Um, that's a rare thing. This is a very rare thing for Spurs. As I said, 1983, the last time they won a, a game so comprehensively against Arsenal in the league, like 40 years. So, um, I've. Uh, been a Spurs fan for many years uh, uh, watching Arsenal win league titles the Invincibles team 2002-2004 Wenger and uh, for years they were definitely top dogs in North London and now it's uh, quite an even keel and for a few years in recent years we've been the top dogs so um, I think since Conte's come in Tottenham have been clearly the third best team in the league clearly like behind City and Liverpool but Fifth isn't great. The Europa League, like Europa League, is a sap. Even even saying the words Europa League just saps my energy. To be honest, but Jose Mourinho got very emotional about it. JD the other yeah, week, yeah. Um, your so, former boys. So I am, um, I'm hopeful, and it's going to be a really exciting run in uh, from Sunday into Monday uh, of of next week. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's an interesting area of London, Owen, and. Uh, I, I, I thought you might be in some kind of salubrious five-star hotel now this morning, but obviously... He's, uh, he's actually disappeared oh, he's to disappeared. such a salubrious five-star hotel. Yeah, you're reliably so. informed. Have uh, you been pe- to Tottenham? I haven't, but I've been uh, watching, obviously, everything that Owen's done over the last little while and listening to you about it as well, including your post last night. And I think um, he's back now. He's checked out at the salubrious hotel. As somebody pointed out on YouTube, JD, you won't, uh, you won't find Henry Winter standing outside the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at half six of a Friday morning, so he's... Certainly earning his corn there. But yeah, it seems like it's an amazing an amazing stadium. I definitely would, oh, would like to get there at some point. Owen, oh, uh, so what, what made you be here this morning? Obviously, the, the atmosphere of being near, being near the stadium, but it's a completely different place on a, on a weekday. It's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's an area of London that a lot of challenges. Yeah, and ho- hopefully we will play out uh, the other package that I put together from yesterday where uh, I, I spoke to somebody who's got a very, very good knowledge of the history of the club and I guess the history of the redevelopment of White Hart Lane and the effort that the supporters trust are really trying to make in terms of connecting the stadium and I guess the success of Tottenham that's incoming with the local community because it does seem that they're at in different places entirely that it's a, there is a bit of a disconnect here like how how do you make the area around a gorgeous stadium like this more successful as a result of it like it's a very very hard question to answer and it's very very hard to know if a club actually has the best interest at heart sometimes for that um, because you're right, it's, it's, it, it isn't the nicest area of London and the stadium is the nicest stadium in London. There is just something so odd about the fact that it's just dropped right in the middle of this area, isn't it? Like you've, you've been here, it, 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 it does feel a little discombobulating and I know it's not the only stadium that's like that. In fact, a lot of stadiums are in, uh, are, are in pretty downtrodden places, but um, it, it does seem it's pretty stark given how gorgeous this stadium is. Yeah, well, the the old Wired Lane was was much more of a blend into the area, um, but yeah, like it, it's funny, like it's built on the site, but they have to try and um, look to regenerate into the community because it, it is a club that does have a good link to the community. But I suppose there's more of an urgency on that now because you don't want it to become a uh, an anomalous feature of the area. Did you get any scran, uh, Owen, over there? Did you sample any uh, of the the local grub? 
Oh, did I? I I'm trying to think what he was I having eat. the cheap beers um, in the stadium last night, JD. Did you have the neck oil, the Beaver Town neck oil. No, I didn't. I have. I haven't actually. I, I what? I actually can't remember what the last thing was that, that I ate. I got a, a cup of coffee on the way here in a, a lovely Turkish place up the road that um, that I might go back to on, in in a, in a little while. That looks great, but. I know I, di- I didn't, John. I, I kind of I, I actually just can't remember what I ate. Did I, what did I eat? I can't remember. Uh, I should have. <laughs> it's been such. He's been so I numbed should, by the humble result. pie. I, humble pie from three. Humble pie. pie. There you go. There you go. Oh, that's, that's how. Yeah, as I was saying earlier on, I did queue up to try and get something at half time yesterday. The queue was too long, and then I was like, I need to go back and actually watch the football match that I'm at. So uh, I didn't actually get anything. But yeah, no, the the bars and the, the food stalls and all that in this place also top, 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 top notch. Uh, so. It's all coming up Spurs. You can it's, have a lovely team and a lovely stadium and a lovely pie and everything is lovely in the garden right now. It's killing you. We couldn't have, literally could not have selected a better, uh, better game for you to go to. So fair play. Um, JD, just before we let you off, what's yeah. the main stuff that's... Uh, any well, are you going tomorrow? You're presumably going to... I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Right. I'm not. This is your Tottenham, is Leinster. It's a, it's a sore point. I'm not. Now I have a family thing to be at. So we got commentary of the game. As you can listen in on uh, Off the yeah. Ball Saturday, we're on air from one to six from the Viva broadcasting from the stadium. It's set that Leo Cullen will name the same team later on that played against Leicester. Uh, otherwise, uh, Ian Gavin will serve a one match ban uh, for Clare. He will not be available against Limerick on Sunday in the round robin of Munster. So we have that game. We got Dublin Kilkenny tomorrow, Waterford Cork on Sunday, Clare and Limerick on Sunday, Derry and Monaghan on Sunday, the Dubs and Meath and the Kildare Westmeath and the Leinster double header. As well, there's League of Ireland tonight. The Chamber Rovers against Derry City, uh, the top two in action at Tallis Stadium from 7:45. Also, uh, Dundalk Bohemians, Shelburne, Drogheda United, Finn Harps against UCD. Uh, Seamus Power six under par at the uh, Byron Nelson, six shots off the lead. Uh, the Luton Ten against Huddersfield tonight, and racing today later, Adrian Eckelbegin and Leopardstown. Lovely, Jenny. You've been very magnanimous in victory. So fair play Thank to you. you. I think Owen appreciates that this morning. And it is uh, almost nine o'clock. And thanks a million for uh, tuning in this morning. Do keep your comments coming in. We've Alan Quinlan still to come, and uh, lots more of the reaction as well from Owen in London from last night. Uh, and we'll have Ronan Jones in studio next. who's going to be talking to us about our whoop and what we need to be doing with them ahead of the tri thigh in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, I think me, more than most, could probably do with all that advice. First of all, John Giles and Eddie Gray on last night's show talking about the maverick that uh, was Charlie George. What what was Charlie George like as a footballer? Um, I wasn't a big fan, uh, Nathan. He's <laughs> a, a lot of ability, uh, but you couldn't depend on him week in and week right. out. Uh he, he was. He could do. He could do a lot of good things, but he, but he, let's put it. He wouldn't have got anywhere near our team. Right. Didn't have the consistency. No. No. It's funny you said. You well, talk about the, the Arsenal and, and, and the very top side. But from 1965 to 1975, I was telling John this. Don't know if he remembers. We played Arsenal about 23 times, and they only beat us twice. I think. Right. You know, and they were a great team. I mean, if you look through the records, I was playing against the Arsenal. We usually come out and talk. We did it in the League Cup final. We did it in the FA Cup final. And normally, we did it in league games as well. I think John would agree with that. Yeah. I think we beat them 10 times on the bounce, Eddie. In, in, yeah. In, in, in the, well, it was one in of those years, games. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that was John Giles and uh, Eddie Gray on the show last night talking about the um, the old days. And uh, it's a great chat. You can check out the full piece it's up on our uh, YouTube channel. Now, I'm delighted to say that Ron Jones from Whoop joins us in studio. Morning to you, Ronan. 
Morning, Agent. How's it How going? Are you keeping? Oh, good. Oh, oh well. Great, yeah. great. Yeah. Nice, quite weekend, quite weekend ahead. Small matter of a game, yeah, this weekend. We're both going to Crow Park this weekend, it turns out. Yeah, we are indeed, yeah. <laughs> um, Kamir, we're, uh, people will be familiar at this point that uh, Team OTB, or at least most of us anyway, Colm, are taking on the uh, triathlon in a few weeks' time, and we're sort of dividing the various legs yep. around. You're taking no leg. No, so Ronan, you can come in here to shame me about why I should, <laughs> and then you can also shame Adrian why he shouldn't be taking part. Well, I think I think both of those things be relevant. I'm basically, have whittled it down to doing the swim as part of a leg with the team that'll be announced a little bit later on, and then most of the... Uh, fully committed people are going to take on the full thing I basically have a thing called I've been boring people about this for the last while uh, patellar tendinopathy I don't know if you've ever heard of this right. but it basically means that the tendon uh, my knee there is not hanging on by a huge amount onto the shin bone so there's a bit of work to be done to recuperate and I actually thought I spoke to the physio and I was like look I might go ahead and do this run and he was like yeah you might be better off not doing any running at all for the next while until we get this thing right so I'm on this uh, I'm on a journey run and I think as an American might put it to uh try and get to a position where I can where I can get back to doing some of that stuff but I have to say uh, and I know you're here so I'm sort of half obliged to say it, but I am actually finding this really useful Brilliant. with uh, with the with that program and the, and the recovery on it Brilliant. Uh, and look, listen, if we can get you to the start line this year, we'd be yes. happy. So, yeah. uh, well, I am getting to the start line because I'm going to do the swim so that's you know at least you get that buzz of everything that, that um, that's uh, that's associated with that yeah. but what I have found is that so I'm so I'm doing a program that's basically a stretching and, and um, circuit program which I'm doing sort of every second day four, five, basically four, four to five times a week and then I'm in to see the physio every other week and I am actually finding it useful to be able to in the conversation with him sit down and look back over mm-hmm. my whoop and say you know in terms of recovery and in terms of the effort that I'm putting in it is actually really practical uh, useful practically to have conversations with him about it great no I'm d- delighted to hear that um, ultimately what Whoop is trying to do is, is trying to provide you with the data to make decisions around it so you know when you are you know, doing your, your hour rehab a day it's also looking at okay what was the other 23 hours what was I doing was mm-hmm. I stressing work was I sitting all day and not getting up and moving was I um, you know, maybe not focusing on eating properly or hydrating and did I sleep for four hours and then yeah. when you go do the rehab session you might feel uh, you know it's a poor quality session whereas if you're controlling those controllables and you see it in the data and you have the information there to back it up then actually you go in and you do the air rehab and you come out feeling great the other side so that's ultimately what Whoop is trying to do it's trying to provide you with information there to make better decisions When you're on that road and you've been through it uh, in a far more significant way than I have but when you're on that sort of path to recovery almost that rehab piece like it's nearly it's nearly more important that you have something like this at that point because like knowing when to push yourself is all very well and grand when you're like at 100% fitness Mm. but when you're managing the return from an injury it's nearly more important Absolutely especially when you're as bullheaded as I am so uh, I've been fortunate enough to have a couple of injuries in the last year Mm. Um, don't do them by half measures either so they're quite quite serious when they happen but um, ultimately what I was able to do while I can't train or I wasn't on the pitch I was able to make sure I was looking after everything outside of it so you know, I was getting maybe one or two bike sessions a week not overdoing it but I was making sure that my sleep was on point I was making sure that you know I was eating right you know, I was stretching I was trying meditation I'm kind of a serial self-experimenter so I was trying new supplements before going to bed see what impact that had on me and ultimately when you see it in the data but also you feel it um, it just reinforces the fact that yes this does work for me if you're doing something like meditation, what so obviously it, it works off. It's a sensor and it's working off mm-hmm. your heart rate and it's picking up all that information. And it's also got the intuitive bit where you can go on and put it. You can journal what you're up to and you can sort of edit uh, the real lived experience, I suppose, beyond what mm-hmm. it's actually picking up. What does the what impact does that meditation have on on your scores and 
Yeah, so there's, there's two sides of it. There's obviously you know, many different types of meditation you can do, but generally what I do is just kind of focusing on breath work and trying to clear my head. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll just pull up the app and look at my heart rate in real time. And you can see over the course of it, even a 10 minute block that actually your heart rate does come down. So while you might be stressed and you could be sitting here, your heart rate's at 90 beats a minute, which would be relatively high for mm. doing nothing. Actually, after a 10 minute block, if you can get it down to 50 beats a minute and you just feel uh that this has worked and you're just seeing the data and you're just seeing your heart rate coming down it kind of just does reinforce that it works you'll also see it then in terms of your sleep quality and also your next day recovery which um both of which will be impacted not necessarily directly within the data but also more so by your your physiology and what happens when you meditate do you build that stuff into your into your day like meditation I try to. Uh, I try to obviously schedules with work and football can yeah. be difficult. So if I can get three a week, uh, I'd be happy. But you know, some days it's less. Some days you might have a bit more time. Some days you might swap it out and just read before bed, and that's kind of a, a form of silent meditation, if you will, where it's it's just clearing your head, trying to get out everything out, and yeah, just focus on yeah. a bit of me time. Sometimes like staring at the wall or like looking at the latest sort of um, Wag of the Christie stuff on TikTok is as useful meditation as anything. It can be, can be, yeah, to each their own. Yeah, to each their own, that probably explains me, Ronan, to be fair. Um, I'm going to be using it for the, so I'm, as I said, I'm doing the swim leg of the of Triathai in a few weeks and uh, Jarrah was saying during the weekend, you know, it's not really much of equipment, you know, as he's uh, trying to sort of uh, hang on to the idea of doing two legs himself. Yeah. Um, it's a 250 meter swim and it's it's down the river and it's with the current and all that sort of stuff. Now I haven't, I've been in the pool, I was standing in earlier, I've been in the pool twice a week, every week for the last six months, but not actually doing any training. It's all sort of uh, in with the, uh, the, the young ones and uh, trying to get them to learn how to swim. So I haven't actually been doing any training, which is a bit of a disaster. I absolutely plan uh, to start on Sunday. On a practical level, what um, what do I need to do with this thing? So is it, it it's obviously waterproof and I, do I, I log it on the phone before I start that I'm going for a swim and then leave the phone in the locker or what can you tell us yeah, about how to use it? To be honest, you, you shouldn't even need to. So the way the Whoop works is it'll detect everything that you do and okay. it'll track it uh, automatically and there's a couple of features. You know, Folks who are a lot smarter than I am have developed them but there's workout auto classification where basically you go and you do a workout, yeah. it'll pick it up and after the session it'll actually uh, tag it for you in the app without you having to do anything um, which should be pretty nice. So you just jump in Set about your business, jump out after, and then once you connect back to your phone, uh, everything will be logged there for you. Uh, I think we sent a couple of hydro sleeves as well, yes, so home, for yeah. swimming, it, it might be a bit easier. It's basically just it, a, a silicone band. And is that just over. to sort of, I mean, obviously I need all the help I can get. Is it like an aerodynamics thing? Is that uh, exactly, the, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, listening into this, Tad, as it, Ronan, do you have confidence in uh, Adrian's performance here based on his body language today, what he's getting involved in with Whoop? Can we help him here? I think so, yeah. Uh, I, think on. I think he's playing it down. To be <laughs> oh, honest yeah, with you. yeah, yeah. A bit like my prediction for Kildare to beat uh, Westmeath earlier on. I'm, uh, there's a double Yara going on here. No, I've, 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 uh, I've an awful... Actually, I've an awful... My, my mental strength around exercise is desperate. Mm. Like, it's really poor. I, it's why I've let, like, the, the tendinopathy issue that I have go for about 15 years that I made stabs at points to try and... I'm going to go and try and get this thing fixed. Mm. But ultimately, I have no mental strength to actually stick with it. And to be honest, and look at it again, you're sat here, but uh, actually the, a, a physical act of wearing this thing mm. has been a brilliant sort of reminder that I can't back out of it. And because I'm logging the scores, it's a more tangible. If I was doing all that stuff away from having any log of it, mm. I, to be honest, I could easily see that I would have given it up because, you know, this is... I'm on a path, I can see the scores, I can see when I've done a session, it's really interesting to see, you know, like what, 
I, I have a perception of how that session has gone and then I'm looking at sort of, you know, what score I've got for it. Um, they don't always match up, which is a good thing, I think, in, in, in terms of the, like, the real information about how you're performing. Absolutely, and, and there's even just subtle kind of reinforcements where you, you, you open up your app and you see that you have a 90% recovery. You might necessarily feel like doing something, but actually this is telling you, look, your body's signaling. Good day to go, yeah. Good day to go, yeah. yeah. Um, and then on the converse, you know, for a lot of people who are you know, type A and maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum where they're trying to work out absolutely every single day and they're just you know, crushing their body day after day, some days they wake up and they might have a poor recovery score and have slept poorly. And actually, that's a signal. You no, know, maybe today isn't the day to go and push it. Maybe today is the day to take a rest day or, or to focus on something else. So um, everyone's experience is going to be different with it. You, know, you will use the data very different to how I will use it, to very different to how Colin might use it. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's just there to, to help you make better decisions. What, he- what are you hearing back from? I know that there was obviously excitement last year when uh, the Tyrone captain went up and picked up Sam McGuire and he's wearing the, uh, the, the uh, wearable, obviously. And I think um, increasingly when you look at sport across the globe, particularly in the US, you see the whoop band appearing sort of left, right and centre with, you know, whether it's NBA mm. or NFL, a lot of the golfers obviously wearing it and there's a lot of interesting data coming back from that. What are you hearing back from them in terms of like what they're getting at it from and obviously you feel free to thread in your own experience with me then into that at that elite level yeah in terms of the information that's coming back yeah so um, it's actually very interesting one so in professional sports like everything is taken care of for the most part for these athletes so this yeah. is really the the one percent where they already have coaches nutritionists in place and they have everything taken care of for them when they travel um and for them it, it's just about refining the process slightly whereas you know, when you look at gaa like everyone who plays on on sunday for example is going to have to get up and go to work on Monday morning. Mm. And actually, we don't have the same luxuries and we don't have all of the same um, facilities, although, you know, thankfully, at the indicator level, we do have quite a bit. So I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss that, but I'm just trying to say that a lot of pressure is on us as individuals to make sure we're taking care of everything outside of training, for example. So, for example, the entire me team have devices now and, and we all probably use it slightly differently. Some lads will have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and, and go work and sometimes earlier go work on a farm whereas some of us might be able to you know us cushy office jobs <laughs> might be able to, to lie in till nine um, and so ultimately it's, it's it's going to be used for, for different purposes but I think yeah in the GA sphere it is, it is kind of a unique one where you know there is an onus on us as individuals to, to take care of ourselves because ultimately when you turn up at Sunday afternoon nobody cares if you had a tough week in work or you know you've yeah. only had the chance to sleep for you know five hours a night or the last few nights so um, having access to this information to just give you the the nudges to make the better decisions in the week, in a few weeks leading up to it, um, ultimately should help. How does it, like, so for an individual, I, you know, you, you take that information and then you decide, I suppose, when you're at that elite level, what your programme is going to be, but you can talk to your coaches on a one-to-one level and decide, my recovery isn't great at the minute or whatever, I'm not that good to go, so we'll tailor it down a bit. Whereas when you're in a team environment, how does that wash when you're sort of sidling up to Andy McIntyre and going, listen, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not quite at it today, or how have you found either yourself or from the, from the people that are using it at that level in a team environment um, I presume it differs from coach to coach obviously but it will it will and uh, some coaches are, are more hard headed than others yeah. but uh, thankfully like any experience I've had they've all been very supportive of it and a lot of it is actually to do with you know me making decisions outside of training so that I come up to training with you know a higher capacity to go and perform yeah. so a lot of it is is you know, the legwork done beforehand but if there is something that, that does pop up for example if you are getting sick you know, and you feel it but also you see it in your data and all of a sudden your resting heart rate is 10 beats higher than it normally is generally it's just a conversation with the physios and the team doctor and you know they thankfully have a lot of sway and they'll say look no 
there is something off there you know maybe don't go and try and push yourself today or instead of doing the runs at the end let's just come back in and, and do a bit of rehab instead or let's focus on something else so it, it, it just opens up a, a conversation around it it's you know nobody shows up and says listen I'm you know 30% recovered or 70% recovered and I'm only going to do 30% of the session yeah. or 70% of the session but it's it's just you know opening up a conversation and, and ultimately getting us to think about you know what we're doing outside of it uh, in a bit more detail do you, are your recovery scores generally are they generally you can keep them pretty high because you're monitoring it all the time or do they tend to fluctuate like the rest of us plebs? No, they'll they'll still vary. Um, and yeah, you know, it's important to note that you know, having green recovery scores every single day isn't always the best thing because okay. it means you're you're probably living in the safe zone. There's days when we have a really tough training session where you know physically it, it's going to be tough to have a, a green recovery the next day. So it's you know it, it will vary. I was traveling a lot the last week and mm. you know, the road sleep is is tough to, to get it's, mm. it's, it's a luxury um, so recovery scores dip but as soon as I got back got back into a normal routine and tried to get it back up You probably want to get to a point where that coaching team or the medics are actually actively coming to you looking for that information or that they're actively logging it somewhere almost so that they have a good sense of it particularly with a group that size when you're talking about 30 plus players of where the group is at almost yeah for sure so like we still use a, a different app to log you know injuries every single morning yeah. like and most inter-county teams would how did you sleep whereas in, in the past it would have been you know a subjective how did you sleep you know zero to ten most of the time probably six and it sits in a six or a seven whereas now actually you have the data you've exactly how you slept exactly how you feel uh, and you can put that into the app and also then speak to the coaches about it and, and they're great about giving feedback as well and telling you listen if you are going through a tough training block make sure you dedicate more time to sleep you'll see the data in your app as well to reinforce that so how much um how much does the information that you're getting back change on a match day versus like a good training session or a challenge match do you see do you see that like oh, I've I have absolutely made the extra effort now today because whatever the context is absolutely um like there's, there's no two ways about is it you there, can yeah. just you can never really replicate match pace uh, yeah. and and you see it in the data as well I'll, I'll notice my strain score from a really tough session might be you know somewhere 17 or 18 whereas I've you know 19 touching right. 20 some days and a lot of it has to do with the build-up as well. So there's obviously going to be additional stress. You know, playing in Crow Park, for example, you know, it tends to be a couple of degrees hotter on the pitch. Mm. There's the whole uh, environment around it as well. But you will notice like your heart rate will be more elevated than if you're playing you know, a challenge game in, in Dungani or Park Tolchin, uh, you know, on a Wednesday evening. So you will definitely notice in your data. And you'll also notice it the next day as well after you know, the big surge of adrenaline, not just from the game, but also from everything that comes after it. You know, sleep is, is quite tough to get that night and then your next day recovery mightn't always be the, the greatest Do you get that little buzzer when it goes past your optimal score and I've, I've got I've got it a few times where I've been like and I'm interested to hear you talking about like 17, 18, 19 <laughs> whereas like I can't even begin to tell you where my uh, where my scores uh, where my scores would typically be at but it comes up at times where it says like you know you've got an optimal score today based on all your factors and it'll give you when you're in the middle of your routine it'll give you like a little buzzer to say right you've hit that now do you get is that do you get that or is it I, uh, I would if I'm doing my own sessions okay. on a game day I'd probably hit that yeah. in the warm up and then Don't, that's what I'm thinking like halfway through the game or the warm up where it's yeah. like yeah that's you done yeah. you know? and you, you can't turn it off as well to be fair so it's uh, um, looking forward to Sunday yeah, yeah, very much so. I think I was actually listening to you chat about it on the way in. Like <laughs> you were writing in. it down, pinning <laughs> <laughs> it up on the wall, Gr- gritting my teeth. I um, know, oh, looking forward to it. Yeah, look, it's I, I personally have been looking forward to this since since last year. Um, yeah. You know, tough first half last year, and, and I think second half maybe showed a, a glimpse of what we know we could potentially do if we turn up. 
Yeah. Um, I actually had, I had a goal chance last year in the second half, and I've had a score that it might have changed the game, and I haven't forgotten about that. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm, I'm looking forward to this year. I don't think anyone has given us a chance, which you know most people haven't in the past. So uh, yeah. nothing new there. But yeah, looking forward to. Giving it a rattle. Uh, I, I'm uh, OTBM. As disassociated itself from its earlier item. That's uh, <laughs> what I want to say here. But I know that Tommy Rudy for sure. There's no way he believes that prediction. And I see Kieran Whelan as well this morning was saying that with yourself and a couple of the other ones back, that uh, maybe there's a better chance than than people are, are uh, giving you credit for. But um, it'll be a cracker anyway. And listen, thanks Billy for coming in. That's been really useful. It's uh, giving me fresh motivation to uh, get absolutely get into the pool on Sunday and, and get cracking on it thanks very much for coming in Ronan Jones me. from uh, Whoop there and we are taking on uh, as you're a bit aware at this stage Try a Thigh it's the start of June and it's all in partnership with Whoop the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential and you can see uh, whoop.com for lots more on that now a reminder that the uh, Football Pod Live Paddy Andrews James O'Donoghue Tommy Rooney and special guests are taking to the road we're off to Castlebar Thursday, June 2nd, it's all in celebration of uh, Mayo football. We're also going to be looking at the championship race and exactly where it's uh, at at that point in time as well. Football pod live, Castle Bar, June 2nd. Tickets on sale now. You can head along to otbsports.com forward slash events to get yours today and you can stay tuned as well for more details on more shows to come. All right, it's 20 past nine. It's Friday morning. You're watching OTBAM and it's a pretty interesting weekend of rugby. So to that end, Alan Quinlan, good morning to you. Morning, Adrian. How are you? Flying it, thanks. And loads to get into. We will, uh, towards the end of the chat, talk about the new appointment, obviously, at Munster. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the November internationals, obviously, been confirmed in the last 24 hours, and the nominees as well for the Men's and Women's Player of the Year. So we will do all that. Be patient uh, with us, folks. But obviously, we want to talk about the Huntington Cup semi finals to begin with. And uh, we'll start with the Leinster match. Quinny, Matt Williams was on during the week, and he was saying that uh, Leinster fans should be very excited. On the basis of last weekend, there's lots more to come from this team. Do you go with that? Yeah, you would think so. Um, I think it was no surprise to 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 many here in Ireland that uh, you know they won in Leicester, and that's been respectful to to to, to Leicester. I think um, probably surprising in the manner, uh, particularly those first 20, 25 minutes. You know when they went twenty points up. Um, the game was over really because they're a very very difficult team to claw back. Um, if you want to beat Leinster, I think you're the one. You're the one that has to take the lead and and um, stop them and defend against them and be really physical against them. Chasing them is very difficult. And um, I thought they were superb last weekend. They did come under a bit of pressure in the second half. One area concerns probably the scrum. Leicester kind of upset them a little bit there. And Toulouse will target them tomorrow, but. I think um, they're well rested. Um, two weeks didn't go to South Africa. All these players, and they'll be very, very fresh going into the game. Toulouse may be fatigued a little bit. Who knows how that plays out? Sometimes that can work in your favour when you're kind of bruised and battered a little bit and really match hardened. So I expect Toulouse to be better. Munster um, yeah. probably could have beaten them last week, but I think Leinster will be in really good spirits. Game at home, uh, full of Leinster people, and. Uh, I think they'll go through. On the expectation of Toulouse being better, like they very nearly came unstuck obviously last weekend and had very nearly come unstuck in the previous round before that, obviously over the two legs. Not dominating those games obviously can be seen, I suppose, as a bit of a negative, but they are coming out on the right side of them. In terms of where we're at with the competition, do you what's your read on that? Is it is it like a slow build in and we're suddenly going to see like the real Toulouse kind of materialise now? Or is there something actually like uh, wrong there. 
they haven't been as good this year um, in the top 14 and, and in I think in Europe they lost against Wasps um, in Wasps um, poor performance in round one against Cardiff the other two games were affected by COVID um, they kind of scraped into the, the knockout stages just on the format I thought the round 16 games brought the competition to life it was incredible yeah. and unbelievably exciting um, the quarterfinals last week were brilliant as well. Great excitement right across the board. So the competition has really come alive from the round 16. Obviously, COVID affected the pool games. Um, and Toulouse, are they going to get better? Well, they have the potential to beat anyone, Adrian. I think when you look at their players, they bought seven internationals off the bench last week. And not just guys with one or two caps, experienced internationals, incredibly physical, powerful and Players who get into any other team or be close to getting into any other team, uh, international side even. So they're, you know, they've they've so much depth and quality. I think where they've been affected this year is the amount of internationals they've had away. And uh, Ugo Mola, their coach, probably hasn't ingrained them back into the Toulouse system as smoothly as we'll say the Irish and the Leinster players go back into their Leinster system. Um that's probably one explanation as to as to why they've been stuttering a bit. I don't think they're as fit as Leinster or as fit. And, and Munster last week underpowered as regards to the physical stakes. Um, their fitness levels and the fitness levels of the Irish province has been always one of our big strengths. Um, Toulouse were trying to slow the game down last week, walking Amber into lineouts a couple of times. The referee to tell him hurry up. Um, it kind of suits their mentality, maybe that you know they want to try and get into the opposition twenty-two and then just strike with some piece of brilliance and manage the tempo of the game. That's where Leinster have got to you know back what they're really good at, and that's tempo, pace, energy, accuracy in the game and holding on to the ball. And I think that's where they cause cause to lose a lot of problems. But you know when you Dupont um, into Mac, Peter Aki in the centre, Ramos was brilliant last week. Um, and the power up front, Mafu, Arnold in the second round, their back row, you know, you can just start rattling off the players, Marshawn, you know. So when you start naming out their players, that gives you a bit of a reality check, Adrian. But I just think Leinster, probably the way they can keep the ball and, and, and how good they are at that. But the thing about Toulouse here is if Toulouse, you know, get a score or two, and I think the game is in the balance, Leinster probably need this game to be over on 60, 70 minutes, you know. Going into the home stretch, I think, and um, if Toulouse are still in the mix, well, then they can hurt you at any stage, and they have that power. But I just think Leinster would be too fit for them. You talked about like Dupont and Edmac specifically, like such a couple of players of obviously real quality that haven't really been on it over the last few weeks. Is it as simple? I suppose two parts. Is it as simple as get the two of them right, and then everything else sort of looks after itself, and also then like players of that quality who've been off colour a little bit maybe over the last few weeks is it just easy when you're at that level sorry not easy but is it possible that they just bounce back into everything we've expected and seen from them over the last few years yeah I think it is because that's what good quality internationals do um, even when they have a little dip in form they can just come out and find that form show their quality show that special talent that they have and when you talk about Intimac and Dupont Munster marshalled them well last week, but they still both had outstanding performances. You know, Dupont was sensational again from against Munster. But what Munster did last week is they didn't allow him to get the line breaks that we see him making a lot. 
Intermatch scores a try, manage the game really well. And like if you were rating their performances out of 10, they'd be probably both eights, possibly nines out of 10. They were they were absolutely outstanding. And those two probably kept loose going in the game. And particularly when once were 24-14 up, the way they could respond, I just think, you know, it's, do you keep them quiet for two weeks in a row and stop Dubont making line breaks? Well, every opportunity that he kind of picked the ball up last week. Munster were really, really alert and they defended very well against them. But um, so there's a kind of a myth that they didn't play well. They were brilliant last week and they were probably the reason why Toulouse found that energy that they needed and kept going. And Leinster have got to be very mindful of that. But, you know, Leinster themselves, you can't overly focus on the opposition. They've got to get their own stuff right. And the reason they're favourites for this competition, the reason they're so good is because... They do the basics so well, um, their set piece, their attack is so accurate. And I think they'll back themselves to do that. But, you know, good players that they have, you know, and, and the internationals, I just think Toulouse are a very, very dangerous proposition. And people realise that. I think Leinster will certainly realise that. And if you allow them play, they've got a lot of power and physicality along with that finesse that they've got as well. Mm. So um, it should be a cracker, but the home advantage, uh, I do think let Toulouse will be better than what we've seen the last number of weeks. I think they will ask real questions of Leinster, but Leinster's defence is very good. Um, I think the scenario of will Toulouse be fatigued, I think they'll be battle more battle-hardened and probably more cohesive. They've now had three weeks in a row um, or two big games, La Rochelle and Munster, that will make them better, I think, and make them look mm. at things and opportunities that they would have possibly uh, exploited more. Your politeness at uh, the halfbacks are grand. What are you on about is appreciated, Quinny. The, just on the Leinster side, uh, the Pino Madney model, obviously, from last weekend, I presume, and like the quality that Leinster obviously have in that department, it's sort of same again, that menace at the breakdown, slow down the ball, and that's half the winning of the game almost. Well, if you're Toulouse and you're analysing what happened last week, you're trying to... So you, sometimes you can do it, but um, if, you, if you've just got guys who are really good at the breakdown, they're going to hurt you at some stage. Um, so Toulouse will want to be way better at that. Probably It's probably the reaction a little bit and their enthusiasm and accuracy to get in and protect their own ball. You see Julian Marchand in, in the Six Nations for France. He's incredible at getting turnovers. Mauvaca, um, even Dupont can get massive turnovers. So they, they can punt, they can actually target Leinster in that situation themselves. But if you're Van der Fleer and Doris and Jack Conan, um, they'll certainly be trying to go after their breakdown. And it sometimes is a bit of body position because some of their players are so big that they're they're a little bit slower into the breakdown and their body positions aren't as low so of course it'll be you know Leinster will try and go at them there Munster did a brilliant brilliant job with that last week and it nearly um, it probably was one of the reasons why they they were in the game and probably took the lead and looked like they were going to win it because they turned Toulouse over so many times and it was brilliant one area of concern for Leinster and they've got to get it right they have an international front row but Toulouse's scrummaging ability is 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 credible um and that's where Munster lost the game last week so i think you know you're not going to see the same sort of dominance it's not going to happen with with um you know furlong and porter and kelleher but 
you know, one or two scrums go awry in Leinster and, and it could be the difference. But I saw it, I think, you know, that's an area they've really got to be good on tomorrow against the lose. Uh, the the other game, obviously, on Sunday, La Rochelle, Rassing, and Rassing have gone so impressively about their business over the last probably month or thereabouts. The top 14 blip against Toulouse, um, notwithstanding, but B Perpignan, a couple of few wins over Bordeaux, nilled Rassing. Are they a better side than they were at this time last year? Or La Rochelle? Um, yeah. I don't know. Will Skelton has a calf injury and is out for a couple of weeks and he... <laughs> He was uh, utterly dominant in that semi-final against Leinster. So um, teams aren't named, Jess. Uh, whether he's back or not for the weekend, I don't know. Harassing our aside that they're, they're, they're up front, they were poor last week. Their scrum was really poor. I think Sale kind of physically unsettled them. Um, you had that a lot of brilliance. Teddy Tama, Finn Russell, Vakatawa comes off the bench. Gail Feek, who they're kind of world-class players who can come up with a little bit of magic. Um, so I, I, I just think it's a hard one to call this game. Um, I think La Rochelle were impressive in dispatching Montpellier. Yeah, um, they were pretty comfortable in that that you know that performance. So it's a difficult one to call. Um, if Racing get their set piece right, they can hurt any team. Um, but I think probably La Rochelle are probably be more balanced side and they have that bit of grizzle and grit up front and power to probably unsettle um, Rassing but I'm at a hiding to nothing here as you know my <laughs> Prendergast a friend Rob's yeah. friend so Killer. I can't be, don't ask me to pick a side well it's don't ask me I, to pick a I, side. I was going to it's, it sounds like you're saying La Rochelle Leinster final I mean I don't want to misrepresent probably yeah, probably yeah, yes yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well I'd say Leinster and probably <laughs> well, you have to keep Prendergast sweet now as well with everything going on. Is the the obviously the forwards coach was announced during the week? Is the Leamy stuff still happening? Because I think that's the one that most Munster fans are interested about. Do you think? Yeah, from from what I'm hearing, it, it's it's still an option, and I think it's something that um, obviously has to go through the proper channels, particularly when it's an Irish coach moving possibly to another Irish province. I don't have any kind of definitive. Um, story on it only that you know Munster are pretty keen to, to, to explore the option of having him back um, I don't know what his personal kind of mm. uh, thoughts are as regards um, of course I think he's open to it but it depends Leinster being very good to Dennis you know and he's a very loyal fella so it depends what Leo Cullen and Leinster um, how they feel about it but um, I suppose when you get an option, uh, Adrian, to go back to your home province and get more senior coaching role, um, I, I know it interests him. So yeah. it just that one has to play out a little bit with, with within the IRFU and within the two provinces. So it's probably, yeah. it's not fair to speculate on it, but it's something that I think Munster want to happen and most I think it probably will end up happening at some stage. Choosing Leinster over Munster for Dennis Leamy will be, a, will be a serious one. Come here, just before we let you away, a quick word. The nominees for the Players of the Year were out. Mac Hansen, Hugo Keenan and Josh van der Flyer in the men's category. Uh, very briefly, any names missing off the list and who wins it? Um, well, Mac Hansen has signed a new contract, so you've got to stop fighting with people online about uh, whether he should. I was just looking out for you there, Quinny. You know that uh, <laughs> he's had a brilliant season. Um, great news for for Connacht and that he signed a new contract. I just think the four defender, Doris Hansen, Keenan, Van der Flair, very hard to separate any of them. I think probably for consistency and just impact at international level. 
Doris and Van der Fleer um, and Hugo Keane. It's just so difficult to, to pick any of them, really. And then the way Hansen kind of shot onto the scene with Ireland was so good. But it's Doris or Van der Fleer for me, given that I played in the back row. Um, I just think, you know, Doris was phenomenal in, in, in the November internationals, got a player of the tournament for that, for Irish player of the tournament. And uh, Josh Van der Fleer is nominated for Six Nations player of the tournament. I just think it's hard to separate either of them. They've both been brilliant for Leinster as well, as have the other two, you know, um, Hugo Keenan and Mac Hansen. So I don't know. I probably go probably Van der Fleer this time, even yeah. though I, I'm a massive fan of Caelan Doris as well. Very little separate both of them. And I think they'd both probably admit that themselves. They've just been unbelievable this year. Yeah, and when you add Jack Conan into the mix in terms of what Leinster have in that department, obviously heading into this weekend as well, it's uh, frightening. Uh, Linda Jugang, uh, Eve Higgins and Sam Monaghan for the Women's 15 Player of the Year. Quinny, what are you thinking? Well, watching um, the, the Eve Higgins and Sam Monaghan, the, the performances they've had have uh, been exceptional. But I think for consistency and continuous consistency, Linda Dujang has has been you know brilliant and she's my player of the year if, if I was picking it um obviously they had a bit of an up and down campaign and were under pressure and you know that France and England game was was difficult for them but I just thought um some of the offloads and some of the carries that she made and and defensive work were, was was outstanding yeah all right we'll look at uh, we look forward to your prediction of a Leinster La Rochelle final Quinny and we will uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I'm have i putting you into the frying pan here we'll catch up with you again early next week good man enjoy it cheers thanks Edric thanks a lot Alan Quinn on the line there right it is uh, 9.36 it's Friday morning you're watching OTBAM and we are uh, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day and as part of his special report in North London for the uh, Spurs Arsenal uh, game last night Owen met up with his fellow Arsenal fan legendary Ready Steady Cook chef for the one and only Ensley Harriet of course to talk all things Gunners and of course delicious food as well snippet here of that very chat you can catch the whole thing across our social channels right now and also hear more from the iconic duo John Giles and Eddie Gray from uh, last night's show so that is uh, upcoming in just a moment's time uh, we're back on Monday morning half past seven Jaron Ohm will have the Gillette Labs performance rankings uh, Gaelic football with Anthony Moyles live in studio Mark Lawrence and we'll discuss and look back on the FA Cup final reaction as well of course this weekend's Champions Cup with that man Alan Quinn and have a great weekend. Here's the dream team for you, Owen Sheehan and Ainsley Harriet. Enjoy.